You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 581. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 16th of August, 2023. In today's episode, five people die in two separate aerial firefighting incidents. A student pilot panics after her failed solo landing. More news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 581 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. You got that right. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast where we talk about recent news in aviation and also answer your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, an almost retired pilot at a major legacy airline based in the United States. And joining us today from his studio in Hartford, Hereford and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330 A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Ah, good evening, Jeff from the United Kingdom. I hope everything's nice over there in the States. I'm looking forward to a great show. We are as well, and also joining us from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. A retired financier, aviation enthusiast, and spreadsheet master. It's our producer, Liz Piper. Hi, everyone. It's a perfect summer's day here. Excellent. Mm, well, rub it in. Why don't I you? I will. All right. That's what she said. Goodbye, guys. Have mm. a good show. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Cheers. All right, let's uh, do the old news uh, thing. Stand by for news. Let's start with this first item in our news folder, Greek fires. This is from uh, BBC.com. Uh, there, this is about three weeks ago or so, I think, or yeah, maybe a little yeah, bit more. Um, they're having some hot weather and some wildfires in Greece, along with other uh, countries around the world. And uh, one of the tools that are used to fight these fires are um, aerial uh, uh, water efforts, bombers. water bombers, whatever you want to call them. And uh, Unfortunately, a, um, a two Greek Air Force pilots uh, died after their plane crashed while fighting wildfires on the Greek island of uh, Evia or Evia. Not sure how that's pronounced. 
the water bombing plane crashed while battling a forest fire near ooh, Platanistos, the ooh. defense ministry said. The pilots were named as 34-year-old Commander Christos Mulas and his co-pilot, 27-year-old ooh, per- per- Pericles Stephanides, maybe. Sounds good. I don't know. Ding-worthy. There we go. There's the ding. Uh, An intense European heat wave has also sparked wildfires across Sicily, Algeria, and Tunisia. So let's uh, show the video of the um, airplane as it's uh, approaching the fire to release its uh, water or fire agent. It looks like it clipped some trees uh, with the right wing and then it crashes. And uh, the two pilots, as uh, mentioned, did not survive the crash. It was flying near the town of Christos. And uh, let's see, is there more to this uh, video? Fires are also raging on roads in Corfu. Okay. I turned down the uh, volume here, but uh, that's uh, state, Greek state uh, camera footage of the uh, of the crash. Defense Minister Nikos Dendias said the pilots lost their lives in the line of duty while attempting to protect the lives and property of citizens, as well as the environment of our country. Um, let's see. Yeah, there's a, I don't know if, Liz, if you were showing the pictures of the uh, two Air Force officers that I did. Yes, when you, when you read their names, I All did. All right, thank you. And uh, let's see, what else? Um, I mean, what else to say? I think that, um, I'm not sure if it mentioned it here in this article, but uh, our producer, Liz, said, that she had read that uh, that apparently um, until recently the, the, this kind of duty uh, as far as uh, you know piloting the um, the airplanes uh, firebombing airplanes was done by uh, not um, the military but uh, private um, companies and that kind of thing contractors um, and now it appears that uh, they switched over to having their uh, air force pilots uh, do this job and. Not sure if that's a factor or not, as far as experience levels and that kind of thing. But uh, that's about all I have to say. What What about you, uh, Captain Nick? Do you have any uh, anything uh, to add there? Or? Well, all I can really say is that we know it's a, it's a very high risk uh, piloting job. Uh, I mean, being in the military can be higher risk than uh, our civilian counterparts, but uh, the firefighters who do this kind of flying regularly. Um, are, you know, have to be very skilled about what they're doing. Um, because mainly um, when you're water bombing, uh, you do not want to drop your retardant um, too high because uh, in the high temperatures, high air temperatures uh, of not only the fire, but of the heat wave that's causing a lot of the dry ground that's creating the fires, the uh, retardant liquid will... Uh, evaporate very quickly and it might not even reach the ground if you're too high so um the guys try and get in as low as they physically can uh, they've got a spotter air, spotter aircraft that goes ahead of them to uh, indicate where they want the uh drop uh, occurring and that spotter also um you know mentions to the crew uh, the sort of heights and uh, obstacles uh, because that, that they're flying a slower and more maneuverable aircraft, they can get closer and they can see things that perhaps the larger aircraft crews can't. 
so they they come in reasonably well armed um but uh as you can see from the video it looks like they clip something which is behind a a, a small line of uh, or a small um stand of trees uh which damages their right wing and you can see something fluttering off and of course i suspect we both think that is probably an aileron i can see from that still uh that um we've also got of the video that it looks like they've got full left aileron um you can see that left aileron looks like it's fully up uh, as the aircraft probably starts an uncommanded roll and it also looks like there's something perhaps a gap on that right hand wing um th they had such little time to react because of their proximity to the ground you've mm -hmm. got to feel really sorry for the crew because there's only a few things you can do in this situation if the aircraft has been damaged and is entering an uncommanded roll you can counter it with aileron obviously on on the good wing if it still works you can try using um, a full rudder in the direction to oppose the roll but it's all happening very quickly and i was going to say you can even try pulling back on the high engine and going full power on the low engine there to try and speed up that wing that's dropping make more lift on it and get it to roll the other way all those are actions you'd you'd almost need to go in the sim and go right let's practice this a few times okay now i'm ready for it let's see if i can recover from this and of course mm -hmm. there's no guarantee that would happen anyway uh, nick i just sent you uh information on your yeah. plane tail that you did on this subject okay thanks and um uh, Liz is reminding me that I did a whole plain tale about uh, the, the firefighting, uh, more specifically about uh, the big aircraft like DC-10s and things that were uh, used. And um, where is that information? It's, a, it's a, the life-saving bombers from APG 509. Life-saving okay, bombers a, from 509. 509, uh, the life-saving bombers, yeah. Uh, interesting, but... Uh, the, you know, these people um, are flying a purpose-built uh, water bomber. So, you know, it's not like it's a converted airliner. This aircraft has been um, purposely manufactured by a Canadian company with great experience just to do this job. Uh, and it's just horrible. But, you know, it's like a lot of jobs when you're taking a higher risk than the average pilot and you're getting yourself very close to the ground occasionally things go wrong yeah very true well and you just talked about we've just been talking about uh this is a high-risk job fighting fires and our second item uh deals also with another uh mid-air collision not well the first one was not a mid-air but this one is uh, firefighting in Southern California I believe yeah Riverside Correct. County yep. mm -hmm. uh, from yahoo.com uh, two firefighters and a pilot have reported reportedly been killed after a mid-air collision involving two helicopters tackling a fire in California emergency officials said the aircraft not the aircrafts why is why are people doing that I that is know. becoming a thing <laughs> I know oh. it is. I hate it yeah, I oh, and I you know what? I should probably try to find uh, Jeff's pet Jeff's peeves, pet huh? Peeves? Yeah, go for it. Ooh, Jeff's pet peeves. Yeah, you want to be careful, Jeff. Soon people will be saying potables. 
Oh, Nick. <laughs> potable. Thank you. Do you think that water they were dumping is potable? I I, I think that that water yeah, they were dumping is probably dumping. not yes. potable. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. So uh, back on track, back on track. Um, California, Cal Fire Southern Region Chief David Fulcher said fire crews had been attending a building fire in the community of uh Cabazon? Cabazon? I'm not sure how that's Cabazon, pronounced. Cabazon, I Cabazon? think. Cabazon? Okay, I've never heard of that. Uh, which had extended into the vegetation around it. A full wildland fi- wild fire dispatch was initiated, which included a fixed-wing and rotary-wing aircraft. And this is when the collision happened. Uh, unfortunately, the second helicopter crashed, and tragically, all three members perished, uh, which included one CAL FIRE division chief and one CAL FIRE captain and one contract client pilot. Uh, the other helicopter landed safely, and no one on board that one was hurt. But the crash caused an additional four-acre fire, which was extinguished. Uh, the helicopter was, uh, which crashed was performing work under contract with the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, a fire captain and spokesman Rich Cordova said. And the investigation uh, or the incident is being investigated now by the NTSB. Yeah, again, it's uh, when you've got multiple aircraft working in this kind of an environment, it looks like it occurred. Was it at night? Uh, certainly one of the it looked, pictures. It looked like dusk or something to me. Can't, yeah, uh, let's shows see, 7.20 the, the p.m. Condition. Yeah. Okay, so it's in a, in a sunset, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. obviously in an area of poor visibility with smoke, um, doing a highly technical and skilled job, um, you know, Lots of aircraft, perhaps not as much coordination as you would hope. Um, so this sort of thing is, yeah, is just, it's just an awful shame because I tell you what, these pe- these people who volunteer to do these jobs, they're doing it really uh, with an enormous amount of um, goodwill towards the people on the ground who they're trying to save. And there's no doubt about it that when they see these dreadful fires and they know that they're close to communities, they undoubtedly feel a, a huge amount of pressure to try and get the fires under control and save lives. Um, they, So, you know, uh, they, they put themselves in danger, in harm's way, doing this job. So you've got to feel for them. Absolutely. All right, moving on to the next item here. Uh, you remember that uh, news story we talked about uh, not that long ago? Two uh, weeks the ago. aircraft that two weeks ago, okay, yeah, uh, that uh, lost the emergency slide in midair just prior to touchdown at Chicago O'Hare. Uh, well, the pilots of a 24-year-old Boeing 767 operated by United Airlines was forced to make an emergency landing on Wednesday after they reported uncontained heat and smoke in the cockpit shortly after takeoff. Chicago United 3 uh, Heavy made an aircraft sending 10,000 United 3 Heavy, Chicago approach. Information, Victor's turn O'Hare. The wind's 26017, altimeter 2975. Expect the ILS runway 28 right. We're getting Victor. Uh, United 3 Heavy. United 3 Heavy, descend and maintain 5,000. Descend 5,000, United 3 Heavy. United 3, heavy speed, your discretion. Copy. 
guided Uncontained heat okay. on the flight deck. No mention of smoke, though, in this audio. 28, just maintain mm -hmm. through 5 to establish. Keep your speed up for now. i got an emergency coming in behind you. Hey, 5 to establish and uh, keep the speed up back at 320. United 3 Heavy, fly heading at 230 to sort of maintain 4,000. 230 down to 4,000, United 3 Heavy. United 3 Heavy, fly heading 250, intercept the 28 right, localizer. 250 to join United uh, 3 Heavy. United 3 Heavy is 8 miles from Adam. Maintain 4,000 until established on the localizer. Clear the ILS approach runway 2A right. Clear for the ILS 2A right, United 3 Heavy. United 3 Heavy, contact O'Hare Tower 132.7. 32.7, United 3. United 3 Heavy, made aircraft just inside Adam. 25 portion. United 3 Heavy, O'Hare Tower 12601 continue inbound runway 2A right. So the reason I mentioned uh, the, the whole slide incident, it turns out this, is, uh, this plane was the same aircraft uh, which dropped an emergency slide uh, in midair earlier this month while on final approach to uh, land at Chicago O'Hare Airport following a transatlantic flight from Zurich, Switzerland. And now, oh, I forgot to mention the uh, registration number of this airplane is uh, November 666 United, uh, or Uniform Alpha, and uh, I said uh, 666. So I don't know if uh, that has, you know, like 666 has anything to do with this uh, particular uh, the plane was incident. Yes. It, it, was. it might explain why it was getting hot. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's it's getting, getting very hot in the cockpit. Um, yeah, absolutely. Interesting description, uncontained heat. Uh, mm -hmm. You yeah. do wonder whether that is being generated by... Uh, a fire or possibly um, runaway well, uh, you, yeah. conditioner, uh, so that you know that I've had it on aircraft before, where you the aircraft uh, the heating in the cockpit runs away full hot, and nothing you can do w will seem to control that, and um, you know it can get blisteringly hot uh, in the flight deck if uh, that occurs, um, and uh, also um, good point. Uh, that Liz mentioned in the background there that they um, 
their communications uh, were nice and clear, so it didn't sound like they were having to wear masks during, at the time. So not sure if there was actually smoke present. If it was just if just hot in the cockpit, I wouldn't expect them necessarily to put the masks on. Right. Sounds like their visibility was good. They call, they were called uh, called out traffic, and they and they said that they had the traffic in sight. So, yeah. Um, and I have a question. Uh, you said you've had like um, just uncontrollable hot air in the uh, in the flight deck area. <laughs> um, now, I know you think I'm making a joke, but I'm not. Actually, I'm serious. Um, I, my question is: um, usually that has something to do with the mix valve, right? Going full hot. But that, wouldn't that just affect one of the air conditioning packs, not both? Um, um, well, for us, it, probably the trim valve is uh, more important in the Airbus because uh, you can, you being a sophisticated airplane, you can select different temperatures to, <laughs> for different zones of the aircraft and the cockpit is a separate zone uh, in most cases and uh, if that trim valve runs away full hot it'll just affect the cockpit area and you'll just get stinky hot air in there but it doesn't matter which pack it's coming from because it's being mixed specifically for your zone uh, in, in the airbus way hmm. okay so uh yeah and, and i've had that happen uh and we um, you know, we there are various fixes. You can do it in Airbus. I have no idea what you can do in a, an old 767, but uh, uh, we used to uh, be able to reset various computers to uh, get them to fix it. And quite often, a lot of the time, the engineers had to, on the next flight, come in and they would vacuum and clear the vents around the temperature sensors because sometimes that caused the problem if they um, were getting clogged up and they weren't able to operate correctly. Good point. And uh, speaking of good points, uh, Neil Landworm in our live audience uh, says, Captain Al suffers from uncontrolled hot air. He does, although I have at times, um, I, I think he does control it so that, you know, he <laughs> comes... Just comes at an appropriate moment. So mm. yeah. there we go. Yeah. All right. Now I noticed, you know, Liz, um, that picture that's in, um, I don't know if that was a, the, the United jet that you showed on, uh, the, no, it, it okay. was just a, yeah, it was just stock a, a stock picture, I guess. Okay. Because I was looking at it going, no, oh, that's, that's a different, um, uh, registration number, but it was no, very no. close. It was six, six, seven. I mean, so Whoa. almost the same just airplane. Going to help. All yeah. right. Next one off the, off the line, yeah, yeah. That's that's a horrid number. I wouldn't want to fly around. That's on, my phone on number. That one. I know. Yeah, the number of the beast. <laughs> Did you hear? Speaking of beasts, um, <laughs> Liz just <laughs> mentioned that triple uh, uh, six is in her uh, telephone number. Uh, I, I noticed that, uh, oh, Liz. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I'm not really sure what to think of that. There you go. Mm. But I noticed that they spent 45 minutes on the taxiway. Mm -hmm. So obviously, it wasn't. Uh, a sig a problem that was significant enough for them to um, you know evacuate the aircraft or whatever mm -hmm. uh, or demand some priority so they could get off a of cool down. Unfortunately, we don't know exactly what happened there. Yeah, don't know yet. No. Yeah. Maybe we'll find out when the next incident for 666. Yeah. Uh, good well, point. Well, that's very true. I mean, I, I don't know if they're getting rid of any of their airframes, but that would be a prime one <laughs> to be next for the scrapyard in my mind. Right. Neil's got a cute 
comment and then we can move uh, on. Let's see. Finnair operated flight 666 to uh, Helsinki. Helsinki. Uh, one Halloween. <laughs> H. Hell. Oh, uh, to uh, Helsinki hell. Uh, is H E L. Hell. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm I'm starting to kind of uh, feel a theme going on here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Scary. Okay, we're okay. going to number F now. Oh, F. we are going to uh, this Letter next uh, item here um, from the Aviation Herald. A Southwest Airlines Boeing 737-700 registration November 7734 hotel performing flight 2493 from San Diego, California to San Jose, California was at holding point B1 and was instructed to line up on runway 27 at uh, 12.03 local time, so midday, and wait with the advice that landing traffic was five nautical miles out. The aircraft went onto the runway, stopped about uh, 470 meters, which is 1,550 feet, ahead of the displaced runway threshold. Uh, About 50 seconds prior to the instruction to line up and wait, uh, a... um, Citation was cleared to land by the control tower on runway 27, and they told them, warned them, that traffic would be holding in position. Uh, about two minutes, uh, 10 seconds later, uh, after the, or no, two minutes, 10 seconds after the 737 had been instructed to line up on runway 27 and wait, the crew of the landing citation queried whether they were still cleared to land, and in return, tower instructed the citation to go around and then instructed the 737 to vacate the runway via the next taxiway to the right, Charlie 2. The 737 queried for the reasoning. Tower responded there was uh, traffic two nautical miles out behind them. The 737 crew complied and vacated the runway and subsequently went to holding point Charlie 1. The citation positioned for another approach and landed safely about 14 minutes later. And then the 737 departed about 10 minutes after the go-around of the uh, citation. So before the citation went around and landed, um, the uh, 737 was cleared for takeoff. Uh, ADSB data suggests that the citation was already over the or was over the runway about 150 meters, 480 feet ahead of the displaced runway threshold, having overflown the 737 at low height when it reached the lowest height of about 100 feet. AGL, that's low, and started to climb again. The FAA uh, opened an investigation into the occurrence and stated that the controller had previously cleared this citation to land on runway 27 and then instructed Southwest Flight 2493 to taxi onto the runway and wait for instructions to depart. The facility's automated surface uh, surveillance system alerted the controller about the developing situation. And then uh, the National Transportation Safety Board announced Uh, NTSB is investigating August 11 runway incursion and overflight at San Diego International that occurred when a Cessna 560X was cleared to land on runway 27 and conflicted with a Southwest Airlines Boeing 737, which was in a lineup and wait on runway 27. So uh, hopefully we'll get to know a little bit more when the investigation continues. Uh, There's the airport diagram uh, that we're displaying on the video here and will be in the show notes, as you know. Um, so two seven, you know, it's a single runway operation there at, uh, San Diego. Um, and the, um, yeah, just kind of shows you, uh, not really super helpful as far as, uh, where all this happened, but basically on the right side of the uh, chart here that we're looking at is, uh, where Charlie one is. And then 
the 737 was line was waiting for takeoff clearance somewhere between Charlie One and Charlie Two uh, taxiways, and then uh, I guess I, it doesn't really make it clear. They do mention that the surface surveillance system was warning the controller of the pending conflict, but it almost seems to me the way that it, this is um, written in the Aviation Herald that the crew of the Citation may have seen the 737 was still on the runway and said, are we still cleared to land? And um, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly the sequence of events here. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, just we know we can't truly uh, trust ADSB data. Uh, it isn't necessarily accurate, but it appears that the Citation had already overflown the 737, and reached 100 feet uh, above the ground, which is pretty damn low. Um, so it's, it sounds to me like, despite the fact that the controller was given a, a warning from his automated system, that uh, it it wasn't, it, you didn't have enough time to order the Cessna around. Either that or the, um, the citation just, that uh, took a wee bit long to uh, do its go around and actually passed over the 7.3 at a relatively low height before it uh, started climbing away again. That will need some clarification from the NTSB, who will be able to get some more accurate numbers, I'm sure. I will say, as far as communication is concerned, I, I think all the proper communication was made because when they told the um, Cessna citation that they were cleared to land, um, they said there would be traffic holding in position. Okay, so they so the citation pilots know that the 737 is going to be holding in position. And then when they told the 737 crew to get, go on to runway 27 and you know line up and wait, they said traf, landing traffic was five nautical miles out. So there was there were um, uh, there was communication there uh, for both flights that there's a pending conflict here. Uh, but somehow the controller must have been distracted or something and uh, didn't didn't you know think through this whole thing and forgot to give the 737 clearance i think that was his initial plan was to you know give the i don't know maybe there was something clearing at the other end of the airfield we're not sure yet because we don't know all that uh, detail uh, but um, apparently when they told the southwest to line up and wait um uh, there wasn't it, there wasn't an opportunity at that point apparently for the 737 to be cleared for takeoff immediately and then maybe something distracted him and then or her i'm not sure we don't have the uh, audio tapes um yeah and then uh, that uh, conflict occurred but luckily good essay i'm assuming from the Cessna citation crew uh, the 737 crew, uh, not so sure about that because they said, oh, what's the reason for us uh, to Wouldn't get off the runway? Flying over? They may have been in the process of pu pushing up their power to move to the next taxiway and clear the runway by that time that that happened. I don't know exa exactly where they were. As as Nick just mentioned, the ADSB data is yeah. very helpful, but it's not always, always exact. So I'm um, not sure exactly where that'll happen in the sequence. Yeah, it's not like we've got statements from the crews involved. So they might have heard them, but uh, mm -hmm. they will be giving statements to the NTSB and all that kind of detail will be involved. Well, um, there is no procedure for the 
citation to land with the 737 in place. He's not allowed to land long uh, in this case, is no. he, Jeff? No. No. Okay. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. that's not and, a And, of course, I, I hark back to that awful accident at uh, L.A., mm-hmm. where a very similar situation occurred with one aircraft uh, uh, being given a clearance to land uh, and actually landed on top of an aircraft that was uh, lined up, waiting to go. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Neil makes another that, good point in our definitely. live audience. You know, should you just clear the runway before asking why? And I'm thinking, uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, I, I, and again, it's not clear. Well, you can do both at the same time. That's what I'm saying, that maybe that's what happened. Maybe they didn't, you know, maybe they didn't wait until they got clarification for why um, I'm assuming they probably were clearing and said, you know, why, why, why are we having to clear? But I'm thinking to me that that might show maybe a little bit of a lack of situational awareness because, you know, they were told that there was traffic five nautical miles out. And then this guy is going around. It's like, hello, you know, why, why haven't you heard what just happened there? You know, why, why do you need a, should, isn't the reason obvious? Uh, and but, uh, of course, we, we generally turn our ADS-B uh, on in the cockpit uh, whenever we come onto a live runway, just so we can see the situation. And it does give good information about the guy behind. It will show up on the ADS-B, uh, and um, you know, you should be able to work out that there's somebody on short finals behind you. I'm a bit surprised the 737 didn't say. <laughs> What's going on, please? And just in case there are any sticklers out there, um, uh, TCAS is what we would be using, um, and they're yeah. roughly equivalent. But uh, in the GA and corporate world, I think ADSB is probably more um, prevalent. Prevalent, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, same thing. Uh, it's a it's an it's an awareness um, safety feature for us to know who's out there, where you know where they are, how close they are, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, okay, let's go to G. This is from CNN.com, sent in by our uh, announcer, Radio Roger. Um, a bear being transported on an Iraqi Airways flight from Baghdad to Dubai Friday caused delays after it escaped from a crate in the cargo hold. Iraqi Airways issued an apology after a video circulated online of a male passenger saying the return flight to Baghdad was delayed for, quote, over an hour due to a bear in the cargo. In another video, a bear cub can be seen roaming outside of its crate on the plane while people pet and attempt to comfort it. I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd want to. Yeah, uh, even though it's a, like a baby pet. bear or a small bear, it's a little. Bear. I'm not sure that I'd want to put my hand yeah. anywhere near the mouth of that thing as they are doing in the video, but okay. You know, and, and then... I guess, um, is Muhammad with us today? Uh, no, he's our no. air traffic controller at uh, the Baghdad International Airport. Um, well, he, and, was, he was responsible for the loading of this thing, of Oh, course. Oh, Liz, is, uh, this is critical information. <laughs> Liz says that Muhammad was um, responsible for the loading of the cargo on this particular flight. Oh, boy. That's probably why <laughs> Muhammad's not with Muhammad. us today. <laughs> anyway. So what earth were they shifting the bear around for, I wonder? I think it had been sold to someone um, in Dubai. Or not sure. Or maybe sometimes they like send them to zoos and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, could be. Could be, yeah. I'm guessing. I don't know. I know there, there are a lot of fairly exotic uh, creatures owned by some of the um, 
well-off people in Dubai. It's the sort of place where you can see people wandering around with tame cheetahs and that sort of thing. Wow. Hmm. Very interesting. All right. And uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and head uh, over to this segment, which is uh, one of my favorite segments, other than the plain tales, of course. Um, this is the getting to know us segment where we get to know what each of us have been up to since the last episode. And to be fair, we just recorded a few days ago, um, part two, or actually our show was recorded live on Saturday morning. And here we are on Wednesday, just a few days later. And, but I'll bet Captain Nick has been busy with his lawn bowling, I'm guessing. Uh, no, actually, the season's almost ground to a halt. Oh, okay. So uh, we we got through to the final of uh, one of the big competitions, uh, but we don't play that final match until I think the third of September. And oh. between now and then, I've uh, only left in one singles competition, so I've got to uh, play a couple of rounds of that. And uh, so, but it's all it's all winding down, which is kind of expected that we get into the end of the season and we'll be moving indoors next month. So. Um, that's, yeah, you know, summer's slowly grinding to a halt. So that, not, not a lot of that going on, but, um, in other events, uh, my poor old dog, which is why I've, uh, our hairy one called Rugger, uh, who's there oh. beside me. Mm-hmm. Uh, hi, hi, Rugger. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, he's, 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 he's been frozen the, for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's had an anesthetic today, so oh. uh, he's he's not moving very fast. <laughs> he went in to have his teeth done and uh, uh, various other things. So, um, you know, he's feeling a bit below par uh, and not eating today and looking a bit grumpy. He does not like going to the vets. Unlike the other one, which Rusty. is this side. Uh, that's right. She loves the vets. She thinks it's the best place in the world, and she gets terribly excited. She's up on the receptionist counter, wagging away, saying hello to everyone. All the vet nurses love her there. But Rugger, no, he he gets all grumpy. Is that like a curmudgeon, Nick? Yeah, he is indeed. He takes after me, Liz. He is a curmudgeon when it comes to the vets. So that's been today. Just uh, looking ahead, and oh, the four QFIs are getting together. Oh, I yay. See next week. So um, you're not going to see a lot of me for the first half of the week next week. So I'm trying to get the next plane tail done before I go, well, if you which can, is on Sunday. Yeah, if, if you get it done, anyway, that's great. If not, I, don't worry about I, it. I've got a good subject because we were talking about the DC-10 and its cargo door issues uh, in a previous mm-hmm. plain tale called the Applegate Memorandum. But, of course, that wasn't the end of the DC-10's woes. Wow. And um, there is another major incident involving the DC-10, which makes interesting reading. Um, not the manufacturer's fault this time, or the airline's fault. Mm. Um, and uh, a very interesting response from the FAA, which 40 years later, we see um, certain similarities. So that's going to be the hmm. gist of tease. this plane tale. Yeah, quite yeah. the tease. Exactly. What about the cover art, yes. Nick? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call this plane tale History Repeats Itself. Oh. Um, cover art. 
Indeed. We uh, <laughs> we had to deal with a, a wrinkle, wrinkly airplane. Another United Aircraft, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. It performed a, a rather firm landing and uh, caused a few wrinkles. So this, I thought, was a nice uh, uh, image of a, a very wrinkly aeroplane. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few uh, Easter eggs in there if you're interested. Okay. Of course, the show number is uh, there on the – you've got to have a zoom in on the eyes. That's okay. where most of the Easter eggs are. All right. Oh, that's that's looking good. Okay, so there's a couple of things in that eye. Because um, I spread the show number around. You'll find the five in the other eye. Oh, uh, I see the eight like zero in this one. And yeah, you can see the eight zero. Well done. Uh, but there's also another um, interesting thing in that eye. Have you worked out what that is yet? A certain logo. Uh, uh, it looks like some kind of a swoopy thing, like a maybe a yeah, logo. Yeah. So I didn't want to be too blatant and go, oh, this is a, a, a Boeing airplane that's had uh, all its wrinkles. But uh, I thought I'd sneak the Boeing logo into uh, a discreet uh, place. So that's the Boeing logo there in his a eye. Boeing cataract in his eye. Oh, I see. There and there's and the five. Look, right there yeah it looks like a three but in fact it's not it's a five because the bit that makes it look like a three is actually part of the eye coloring yeah i see that yeah it does i I can see it as a five and a three Uh, well done okay there you go so that was a bit of fun yeah Uh, this is mrs mid-journey that's right Uh, mid-journey did this didn't put an engine on the left-hand wing so I had to go find an engine from another aeroplane, which I um, stuck on the left-hand wing. Weird, eh? And uh, and also, it's got a center gear. If that's supposed to be the nose gear, it's definitely in the wrong place. But it hmm. looks oh, like yeah, more like it, center yeah. gear, so it's a bit odd. Uh, and it didn't have a fin or a tailplane, so they're oh. additions I made. Um, and, of course, I used uh, the... Um, similar AI uh, capable um, generation in Photoshop to uh, add more above and below that image to turn it into a square image for the other. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure where that square image goes, Jeff. But it goes into the uh, into the uh, chapter images for the show that require Apple requires ah, okay. a, a square that image. Did a, a great job of. Um, creating uh, more above and more below, exactly copying what was already there. Very clever. Very clever, I thought. Yeah, very clever. And uh, hopefully it's anyway, reducing that, your that workload. Image, yeah, <laughs> indeed it is. That image is all mid-journey, so I was very impressed with that too. It looked looked fun. Yeah. And I needed very few keywords. I, I think I just wrote uh, passenger airplane uh with wrinkles uh and that's what it produced <laughs> well it it definitely i mean that face it, it produced all that huh yeah it wow. produced all that all by itself very good very wrinkly airplane yeah. for sure yeah the actual airplane uh, the united uh, 767 i think or 777 not sure uh one of those um was not quite that wrinkled not quite no no yeah. no what have you been doing, Jeff? What have I been doing? Uh, Liz is asking. Well, singing. of course. I'm singing. 
I've been singing at my church and uh, did that, um, uh, the, the normal uh, number of uh, masses that I sing on the weekends, uh, the vigil mass on Saturday, and then one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four masses on Sunday. And then uh, yesterday was a, a big feast day in the church, a, a mass of obligation, uh, the assumption of— oh, What uh, did you have uh, to eat? Uh well, unfortunately, uh, I didn't have anything to eat. They, did, you know, that's a good point. Why oh. weren't there any like oh, a, a smorgasbord or something like that there yeah, available for me? Table laden with food. Yeah, yeah. But uh, someone, there, someone there doing some converting to get the wine. Mm-hmm. But you did a vigil mass, right? What was that, Liz? You did another vigil mass on Monday, and then yeah. So I did the vigil mass uh, for the t- Tuesday. Um, uh, massive obligation and also a couple of uh, masses on Tuesday, the actual day. So, uh, yeah, be- between uh, last show and now, I sang at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight masses. <laughs> People are wondering if I actually live at the uh, church, and I'm thinking about maybe asking Monsignor if I can go ahead yeah. and put a cot or something there, and I can maybe not there. have to pay for my apartment rental anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Are you feeling extra holy? Um, am I feeling extra holy? Mm, not really. No, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm working well, as hard as I can. Us, so that's a problem. Yeah, I know that. It... <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's really editing uh, and singing, and that's about editing it. and singing and that kind of thing is uh, what's been happening with me. So yeah. um, that's about it. Coffee so fund. it's uh, time now for the coffee fund, and let's talk to you about that. Uh, Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love toffee. I love the APG APC? community. Oh man, I'm a mess. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh yeah, the coffee fund. It's your way to support us financially if you have the financial resources to do so. And only then, if. So, uh, a couple of different ways that you can support our show uh, via the Coffee Fund or the Coffee Bar Club or the Coffee Fund Cadre. uh, Your choice. Uh, One is via the uh, Coffee Fund Classic method, which is basically a PayPal uh, donation page. And we have recurring contributors there. Um, Thank you very much, my recurring contributors and uh, also uh, people use it for a one-off two-off kind of thing every every now and then and uh, that is um, something that you can avail yourself of and the other way to support the show is to become a patron of the show via patreon.com and since the last episode one of our long time for over six years now Luis Luis Caceres um, ended up uh, moving from producer level to senior executive Woo-hoo! producer level. So, yes, that deserves uh, some applause and even maybe um, some noisemakers. Thank you, Luis, for um, upping the uh, pledge. You know, we always try to encourage people to up uh, up their, up something, up yours, if you don't uh, mind. Yeah. Um, I, I know there's a better way to say that, but uh, I do apologize if Raise I offended anybody. Raise their level of donation. Yeah. So anyway, thank you very much for uh, 
uh, for doing that, Luis. Uh, much appreciated. And um, if you're interested in learning how you can become part of our coffee fund uh, contributors, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. By the way, that's not a backslash. It's a forward slash or just slash. Just slash, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but unless you're a coder, you're doing some programming, then you might want to put a backslash in there. See what happens. All right. Um, <laughs> let's see. I guess, I guess this is falling again under that category. Uh, let's see. Where is it? Yeah. Yeah. Where is it? Ooh, Jeff's pet peeves. All right. Um, you want to take a quick break, Nick, or do you want to go ahead and, uh, push on? Broke. I, oh, you I did. broken, thank you. Okay, well, I hope <laughs> I hope you can put it back together. And yes. uh, so do I. without further ado, then let's uh, go ahead and uh, tackle some uh, some feedback for the show. Captain, incoming message. All right, um, let's start off with uh, this from uh, Ahmad Dan Hamadou. And he says, hello, Captain Jeff and APG crew. It's Ahmad Dan Hamadou from Abuja. Abuja? Abuja, yeah. I think so. Okay. Uh, in uh, Africa. Still trailing behind and currently on APG 414.5, Return mm-hmm. of the Rickets. Ah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember that, that one very show, well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, that's where Rick dropped that bombshell that he was, uh, back as a regular member. Although I don't know, I know. maybe he's kind yeah. of shifting back towards <laughs> being away. Anyway, Rick, if you're listening, please come back. Um, anyway, uh, Ahmad's, uh, question for Captain Jeff is, have you ever done this? And he says, see the link below, uh, during departure, anytime in your mad dog flying days. And it's a picture Actually, it's a video uh, that we're not going to play here, but we have a, a still frame from the video showing um, the MD-82, I believe, is what American Airlines was flying at the time, uh, with the buckets out on the uh, uh, tail-mounted or uh, rear fuselage-mounted engines, and uh, they were using the procedure we call a power back. And uh, they did that. Uh, I saw them do that several times at um, uh, DFW when I was flying in and out of there quite often. And uh, I think I've seen some other airlines uh, do this uh, procedure in DC-9s. And I think even, uh, I think AirTran may have done it with their, with the uh, 717s that uh, now Acme is flying. Uh, But I'm not quite positive about that. But anyway, it's something you can do in uh, this airplane that has uh, the buckets at least. And uh, we uh, thankfully did not do it at ACME. We're, it was not allowed. It was not approved. an approved procedure. And now people that know me and know my history of um, uh, automobile um, mishaps, bent metal, that kind of thing, every time <laughs> that I have bent metal in an airplane, I'm not an airplane. In a, I've never bent metal in an airplane, just to be clear. Uh, every time I've bent metal in an automobile, it has been uh, backing up. So um, I, don't, um, I don't have a really good track record of uh, actually clearing behind me before I start moving the vehicle. You need to have those and, beep, beep, beeps installed. Yeah, I do need to have it. I actually put in one of those beep, beep, beep things, Liz, on our, um, our, our family van. 
No, the family van. Oh. And, and Linda, Linda said, uh, "Yeah, you need to you need to take that. Uh, you need to get rid of that. That is not. I don't know. No, just no. <laughs> so oh, I, I removed shame, it because I find them very useful. <laughs> <laughs> it was obnoxious, I have to say. Uh, no, but uh, no and and speaking of Linda, she also asked me uh, when I got hired by Acme. She said, "Oh, hey, honey." Um, do you have to back up the uh, the airplane? <laughs> and I said, no, why? And she goes, well, you know. <laughs> I know what? No, yeah, I understand. You, uh, yeah. So well. I said, no, thankfully, you'll be happy to know, you'll be relieved that uh, we well, we don't have to back up the airplane. There's somebody in the tug drive, uh, the tug driver does that. Our main man, Micah, in our audience says, I was a passenger on a 727 Continental Airlines, and we powered back in Colorado Springs back in the 80s. Oh, cool. So I guess they did it on the uh, the old 72, uh, the three-holer. Uh, nice. Never did that. Uh, I, I don't think that Acme has ever, well, I could be wrong about this, but ever since I've been flying at Acme Airlines, That's uh, they a have long not time. approved. Yes, it is a long time, Liz. Thank you for for adding that. I, I, I sort of did it once. It was... In a tornado, because the tornado had thrust reversers. Oh, really? Fitted. Yeah, instead of a brake parachute, we had thrust reversers. Oh. And uh, um, I came out of the hardened aircraft shelter once, uh, and um, we <laughs> taxied out, and uh, we uh, didn't have both gearboxes going as we should have done. I, there's a cross-drive clutch that used to connect both. And um, my finger, well, not my finger trouble, but me not realizing, not noticing that the other gearbox hadn't uh, connected, which gave me brakes. So when I was taxiing out of the, the shelter at night, I uh, put my feet under the brakes and nothing happened. And I just went straight through. I nearly ran over the marshal. <laughs> Who was? But I had nowhere to stop the airplane. I'm going. How the hell was it? So we went out of the pan in front of the Arden aircraft shelter onto the taxiway with me still going. I've no way to. I, I can't understand how why this airplane isn't stopping. Um, anyway, I used thrust reversers to bring it to a halt on the taxiway, uh, and then as the ground well, I shut the engine down. Mm -hmm. I only had one engine going, and then. Everything went into complete darkness, and um, I suddenly realized that we were going backwards down the slope of the taxiway. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So having managed to stop myself from going forwards anymore, okay, did we you, were now going backwards. So now what do you do? You try to restart the engine? Well, I was trying to shout to the – I was trying to lift the canopy, but the canopy worked from the same brake accumulator that had, <laughs> uh, that had not been filled and um, so I couldn't lift the canopy to shout at the ground crew. I couldn't do anything. But luckily, one of the ground crew realized the problem and threw a chock in behind the main wheels. And we had our wings all the way back in 67, like we were doing a million miles an hour. Uh, and all that center of gravity at the back there, plus uh. our rearward thing, did exactly what you have to be very careful of if you're doing this in an airliner. Um, it tipped the airplane onto its ass. Uh, so, you know, the nose wheel came up. We didn't actually touch the back oh. end on the ground. Thank the Glad Lord. You weren't under it hovered there for a while. 
<laughs> about 30 degrees nose up oh, or my. whatever. And then slammed back down on the nose wheel and all was good. But uh, mm. uh, it left me severely embarrassed. I bet that uh, your heart rate was, amusing. was a little bit high. Oh, yeah. It took me an age to work out what had happened because we were so used in the house. We had to start an engine and get out quickly because as soon as you start an engine, you're cooking the airplane that's immediately behind you, mm. and you don't want to burn the wing off. So uh, yeah. as soon as you get an engine going, wave the chocks, taxi out. But And I'd done all my after starts, but I hadn't checked that the – Cross drive clutch had actually closed and it hadn't, oh, so I had no brakes. Silly boy. Yikes. Well, Neil in our uh, live <laughs> audience says Binter Canarius mm -hmm. do it in their ATR 72s. There we go. Oh, interesting. Lots of uh, different places uh, oh. do that. All right. Um, I think uh, Liz in our control room is uh, talking to some kind of a bird, a loon or something. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm sure, it's not yes. a, a booby. I don't know Pardon if it's a booby me. or a, a loon, but uh, I don't know. This is kind of getting personal. I'd, I'd so, say. guys, you've got, a, you've got <laughs> about about at the one hour mark. You've got about fifteen minutes till you want to wrap up. Okay. All right. Okay. So we got about fifteen minutes to play with before I think we would end like part to cover one. Number sixteen. Um, okay. Today, just FYI, um, Nick, um, would you like to cover this next piece of feedback number? Uh, 16, uh, oh, from Stefan. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. Yes. All right. I, I, I went to check the sound of the shocks there. Midlands Army Airfield going, why am I doing this one? But actually, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's the next one on. Mm -hmm. So, uh, this, this was Stefan and, uh, he just, uh, wanted to make sure we were staying above 50%. And although we had on the last show, uh, a discussion about, uh, a cockpit window that popped over uh, open during mm -hmm. a takeoff roll of a, can you remember what the airplane was? It was a uh, 321. Ah, okay. And I said, I don't think they've got sensors for the windows to confirm their clothes. I certainly didn't on the 330 or the 340, the Airbus A340 or the A330. And of course, Stefan being an A380 captain, just had to let me know that the marvelous A380 does indeed have an indication for an open cockpit window. So if that had been an A380, they would have realized before they started their takeoff that they had an unlocked window. Mm. So uh, that's what it looks like. And you can see there right at the pointy end of there, this is the door page. You pull up to see, look at all those doors on a 380. That's amazing. Uh, the main deck is uh, sort of the outside, and then the inner gray bit is the uh, upper deck. And you can see they, they're obviously sitting there on a stand because they've got cargo doors open and uh, passenger doors open. Uh, but there at the front, they've also got both cockpit windows open, indicating amber, showing they're open. Hmm. And he said they've got a corresponding procedure. If you have, and of course you would, if you had a warning that went off, and it's, uh, it comes up with a amber caution saying door, because that's the system that's doing the detecting the door system, cockpit sliding window not closed. And the triggering condition, at least one cockpit sliding window is not locked in the closed position. And you get an audio warning, a ding, a single chime, 
Uh, you get an amber master light, and uh, on the SD page is recalled, and you get that warning. And um, then it also gives you the conditions when that will occur. So basically, sure. Yeah, basically all the gray ones. So basically, uh, uh, before you get to 80 knots, on the, if you're on the ground with the engines running before you get to 80 knots, and uh, also after 80 knots on your landing, uh, if you've got one of those windows open, you'll get a warning. And then, so there you and go. Then Boeing has That's a very- that. And he said, um, in the most amusing way, I thought, Boeing's have a much more subtle indication. <laughs> and he sh- showed us a picture <laughs> of a Boeing window. Now, bear in mind, this is coming from um, my f- lovely friend, Stefan. Not This is not me bashing Boeing. But he approved. But obviously there, we've got a picture of the Boeing window. And if you open the window so you can see out, there's obviously a bit of uh, the airframe that is now revealed because you slid the window out the way. And on that, it's a bit of dymo. It's not dymo tape. It's some kind of um, lettering that they've stuck on a, from a, 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 you know, a, a label maker saying, window not closed. <laughs> that's what has been revealed by the act of opening the window. You'd kind of think Just, that that would be obvious, you know? Uh, well, we are talking bang pilots, up. <sighs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Um, anyway, this is from a Boeing 777. So there you go. You get a window not closed. Yeah. Uh, piece of message is revealed. If <laughs> hey, Liz, could you go back to the uh, the, the um, schematic, um, the page? Yeah. I was looking at the 380. I didn't realize how t- teeny, teeny, tiny, and skinny those uh, wings are on that airplane. <laughs> I think the the back end of the wing is not in the picture. Oh, I thought that was the entire wing. Sorry. Okay. It might be the entire wing. I don't know. <laughs> A little stick figure. <laughs> it certainly has an awful lot of doors, didn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Stefan, for um, for. Uh, Interestingly, it says rain repellent level normal. Well, rain that rain repellent stuff has been removed from. I know every like airplane decades in the world, ago. I thought. Yeah, That's... because it turned out to be carcinogenic. Okay, so... Stefan, tell us about the rain repellent now. You have to yeah, send us more feedback. Yeah, why is that indicating normal? It's obviously not because I think that three eighty was built there. after they outlawed that that orange uh, rain repellent stuff. Yeah. Maybe they have other better kind, uh, environmentally friendly and human friendly uh, kinds. Anyway, that was that was great, Stefan. Thanks very much indeed, and um, wonderfully amusing picture of the triple seven. And I hope to meet up with uh, Stefan in October because I'm going across to Hamburg to Ooh. give a talk to the Hamburg branch of the Royal Aeronautical Ooh, Society. Yeah. And oh. that's where Stefan lives. So he and I are hoping to hook up and uh, drink a few steins together. Nice. All right, let's uh, do this one, Nick. Uh, number six from Ray Pelo. Uh, not pilot, but uh, P-E-L-O-T. Uh, he is uh, uh, advising us of something happening at the Atlanta International Airport in October. Uh, the Delta Atlanta Collectibles Show and Sale. And again, uh, it's the 36th annual Atlanta Airline Collectibles Show and Sale, Sunday or Saturday, October 7th, 2023, from
from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Admission is just $10, and children 10 and under are free. And the uh, location is at the Delta Flight Museum. Uh, that's deltamuseum.org. And it says, calling all aviation buffs. Over 50 vendors will be, will be selling aviation-related items that range from airplane seats to models and playing cards. Ooh, what kind of model? Like top fashion models? No, probably not. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, breakfast and lunch will be available for purchase, and all proceeds benefit the Delta Flight Museum. Hey, if you're retired by then, you can sell your old uniform. Mm. Okay. Well, <laughs> thanks, Liz. Thanks for your great, great suggestion. Okay. Um, so there we go. Ray, uh, thank you for sending uh, this. We'll, we'll keep uh, it and play it again a couple of times. Yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and keep this around and, and uh, talk about, or do it again, cover it again a couple we'll of uh, big it up. times. Yeah, uh, just to kind of remind everybody if you're in the Atlanta area or, you know, you feel like something you that's worth flying into or driving into town to take. Uh, to take a look at. All right. And then uh, finally for part one here, we're going to go ahead and end with this one from Jillian. Jillian the Sicilian, she calls herself. Uh, And this is an interesting one. Here's what I like about Captain Nick and the rest of the APG crew. But she starts off with Nick because I think that he's her favorite. So uh, Nick says, podcast 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 she spelled it p-a-w-d-c-a-w-s-t podcast uh he snorts as he just did actually um he says orientated because we say oriented that's quite correct Uh uh-huh well yeah and then he also says bob's your uncle Mm -hmm. by the way you didn't catch me saying that when you were on the last episode where you were showing the picture of your student named bob who bob who has the new podcast i say is that your uncle Oh no! Uh, I was you missed concentrating it. on what I was saying. Yes, yeah, were. afraid so. And then turn me ears off. He says, "Indeed, but no, he's not." Okay. <laughs> so, what do you say? Bob's your uncle. No, of this next one. If you're following along on the uh, on the brilliant, there brilliant. you go. His commentary is always spot on. Wow! Oh, how nice. Very nice. I like this lady. Captain yes. Nick possesses the rare combination of right and left brain talents. Artistic, creative, and scientific. It's true. Oh, that was a very, I'm, and I have to I'm agree with her. That. You really do. I'm, I'm well balanced. I have a chip on both shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> um, then she uh, addresses Liz. Uh, Liz's snarky quips don't need to go through the filter of Captain Jeff. Just give her a mic. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> she says a lot of stuff that I bet nobody catches. Yep. And there are a lot of things, by the way, uh, Jillian, that uh, I don't include in the audio podcast that she says that are just, uh, well, I think, just, just we can't. over the edge. It's you know, there's a gray sad. area. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Sure. Uh, she says a lot of stuff that I bet nobody catches. Okay. I already read that. Uh, perhaps she could suggest a vague connection to Piper Cherokee, P-Y-P-E-R Cherokee, if I she wish. feels the need for an airplane connection. Just kidding. Of course, yeah, she spells it with a Y and not an I, as as Jillian knows, because that's what she uh, how she spelled it in uh, her feedback. Uh, Doctor Steph is an amazing lady. I envy her talent for sleeping on planes and getting up early. I love to hear her talk about her life and her daily activities. 
We all do, yeah. actually. We're old envious, yeah, I no think. Kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, Captain Jeff can drone on about anything, <laughs> and it will sound really, really nice. He's the velvet radio voice guy. Silver tongue. <laughs> yes. Tell us about the inside of a ping pong ball, Jeff. Well, let me tell you about that, Nick. Let me grab my ping pong. Uh, and Liz is starting to uh, snore in the background. Um, well, I'm going to close for now. I bet you are all thinking I'm seriously suffering from APG syndrome. True. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case. APG syndrome. Oh, yeah, that's right. APG syndrome. Bad case. APG syndrome. Ah, another one's down. Uh, I do agree, but I'm not going to seek help just yet. I'm in the throes of my addiction, and I will enjoy it as long as it lasts. Blue skies. Oh, well done. Thanks, Jillian, Jillian the Sicilian. Yes, thank you, Jillian. Um, we uh, we love you, and I we love everybody out there. I used to fly to Sicily quite often oh, yeah? when I was in the Air Force. Hmm. We used to uh, fly out of Deci Mamana uh, in, in Sicily. Always loved it. A great place. Did you ever meet any young, beautiful uh, young ladies uh, named Jillian in Sicily? Not that I recall. Not that he's going to admit uh-huh. to. Not that he's going to admit no. on air. Okay. Gotcha. Certainly not. All right. <laughs> hey. How do you think I'll be married this way? <laughs> Wrapping up part one. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap up uh, part one. And soon, uh, as we like to say, uh, through the magic of Bad podcasting, editing. You're going and editing, yes. Uh, of course, you're going to hear uh, some of the other crew members, and we'll end the show. So, uh, Nick, why don't you say ta-ta and bye-bye and whatever it is yeah. you say. Good luck with part two. Bye, everybody. Oh, look who's joining us from her lakeside studio in. Yeah, a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, and IPA connoisseur. A commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper. Uh, Dr. Steph. That's me. Yes. Hey, Captain Jeff. Glad to be here. Glad we're able to um, do a little bit more news and feedback and round out this show this evening. I am so happy. I mean, I can't tell you how happy I am as well. Which right. I was a little more excited. Oh, <laughs> this is so much fun. <laughs> All right. And also joining us from his home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, AMP mechanic, airpl- old airplane enthusiast, and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry. It's Nick Macho Camacho. Hey, Captain Jeff. Glad to, uh, glad to make it back on this uh, quick turn here that we had. And, uh, yeah. Be with you again. I'm glad that you were able to join us again. And uh, also joining us, hang on, here we go. And we're going to do this and play the guest music in the background. And uh, also in the uh, air capital with uh, Captain, not Captain, uh, Nick Camacho, is a Part 91 pilot extraordinaire, a uh, an amazing aviation podcast host from the Plane Talking UK podcast. It's Armando. Hey guys, lots of uh, feedback recently to APG that you guys needed to, you know, bring some British class to the show. So here I am. <laughs> Are you British? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my minute. home turf is PTUK. So. I see. I see. Uh, 
All right. Oh, man, I thought that was a we shot. We didn't invite the actual been funny if it was a shot back in the second part. I did think about doing the, this whole show in a uh, British accent, but that's, nobody wants to hear that. No, you're right. Thank you for uh, making the correct decision. <laughs> All right. So um, we're doing the second part of the uh, show here. We recorded the first part with uh, Captain Nick earlier, and uh, now we have uh, the... The, the folks that we just uh, introduced to you uh, joining us for part two later in the evening on the uh, 16th of August, uh, Wednesday. And uh, we're going to go dive right on into a couple of news items that we did not cover earlier. And uh, the first one is... 1D. 1D. Uh, and it's a, um, from the NTSB.gov, an NTSB preliminary report on... An accident in Alaska, uh, Shaktulik, or Shaktulik, uh, on June 16th of this year, uh, about 11:35 Alaska daylight time, a Cessna 180H, uh, November 91361, was substantially damaged when it was involved in an accident near Shaktulik, Alaska. The pilot and passenger were fatally injured. The airplane was operated as a Title 14 Code of Federal Regulations Part 135 on-demand charter flight. Uh, it was operated by Golden Eagle Outfitters, Incorporated, uh, in support of a remote bear hunting excursion. Two hunting guides were waiting on a remote off-airport mountain ridgeline airstrip near their camp to be picked up and flown to mm, Unalakleet Airport. Is that the way so you pronounce Unicleet. it? Unicleet. Okay. Unicleet. Oh, you know, Cleet. What happened to Don't the L there? Don't worry about those there? extra letters in there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, we, Liz, I thought we were going to have uh, Steph read this. Uh, I thought we were too. Yeah. Ah, darn it. I can't. So I, I'm not making this up. I mm -hmm. legitimately cannot see this in Evernote, the actual report. It's like in very weird grayscale for me for some reason. Hmm. Sure. So, sorry. Okay. I'd like yeah. to help, but yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, an hour before the accident, the pilot de de departed with two hunters' clients and told the guides he would be back to pick them up. When the pilot returned, he boarded one of the guides and some of their gear, then arranged to return for the other and the remaining gear. The guide who witnessed the accident stated that the winds were gusting and changing a lot and increased during the hour they waited for the pilot's return. He stated he had flown with the pilot many times and had witnessed the pilot perform takeoffs and landings from the airstrip many times. Airstrip is about 750 feet long and situated atop a down-sloping rock and grass-covered ridgeline. The airplane normally landed uphill on a, about a 060 heading, then departed in the opposite direction downhill on a 240 heading. During previous departures after takeoff, the airplane would dip below the airstrip off the departure end out of sight, then climb back into view and out of the valley. The witness watched the initial portion of the downhill takeoff roll and nothing appeared abnormal, so he turned away and did not watch the remainder of the takeoff. When he did not hear the engine noise during climb-out or see the airplane climbing, he ran to the ridgeline's edge and saw the airplane had impacted the tundra 300 feet below the airstrip. He sent an SOS alert from his personal GPS tracker, then hiked down to the airplane to check for survivors. A helicopter pilot who responded to the accident site about 45 minutes after the accident said that the winds were unusual that day. Winds were variable, gusting 10 to 12 knots from the north, and then they calmed, and then gusted 5 knots from the south, and then the pattern repeated. Examination of the airstrip revealed a small cluster of trees about two-thirds of the distance from the departure end of the runway's left side and down slope. 
One 12-foot tree, about four inches in diameter, was fractured about four feet from its base. The separated portion of the tree was found next to its trunk and displayed fragments of red paint that matched the air accident airplane's paint color. Examination of the wreckage revealed it impacted tundra in a steep nose-down wings-level attitude, about 1,200 feet uh, from the broken tree. The wings were uh, displaced by impact. The right wing leading edge was uniformly crushed aft along its span. The upper and lower wing skins were crushed aft in compression. Flight control continuity was established through several breaks to the flight control services. Um, all brakes and separations were consistent with impact and overstress failure. The engine was separated from the airframe and came to uh, rest inverted behind the left wing. The propeller hub was fractured and the propeller blades were separated from the hub. The right horizontal stab and elevator did not exhibit leading edge damage or impact signatures and the elevator remained, uh, uh, remained attached. The left horizontal stabilizer displayed a concave dent perpendicular to the leading edge, about one foot outboard of the stabilizer route. Tree sap and embedded tree fibers were observed in the leading edge of the horizontal stabilizer. Looks like he snagged uh, that tree with the, uh, the horizontal stab back there. The airplane and its contents were recovered and retained for further examination. All right. Oh, um, so, hey, Jeff. Uh, yeah. Real quick, so... Uh, First, with this mishap, this is the mishap that took uh, Jim Tweedo's life and oh. uh, the guide, Shane Reynolds. Um, so, first of all, you know, obviously, uh, thoughts and prayers to the Tweedo family, because um, Ariel Tweedo, his daughter, has been on our show a couple times. Oh, she was yeah. On our, friend, of, friend of PTUK. Oh, yeah, gotcha. she was on our uh, Women in Aviation show. Aviation with, yeah. Her. Yep. yep. Okay. Um, so, you know, as, as we kind of <laughs> talk about it, Keep in mind, Jim Tweedo was one of the most experienced bush pilots in Alaska, um, obviously made famous by the Flying Wild Alaska Discovery Channel TV show. But even before that, you know, they've, they've owned the company. They, he's been flying up there since uh, he was 68 when he passed. So he's been flying up there since he was a teenager. So he's actually one of the most experienced uh, bush pilots out there. And, and um, despite their entire fleet of, uh, of aircraft, this was... Uh, his aircraft that mm-hmm. he had owned that he started the airline with hmm. and it was his favorite aircraft and he knew this airplane and its performance and its capabilities. So I guess kind of as we talk about it, just keep that in mind that, um, you know, a lot of times we have question marks in our in our head thought bubbles ab- about the mm-hmm. abilities and capabilities of the pilot. But this was, in fact, one of the most um, yeah, well that, experienced pilots up there. That wasn't something that even came to mind, honestly. Um, it sounds like I don't know. From my, I, I don't. I have very limited experience, of course, uh, in GA at all, and flying this type of airplane, especially a tail dragger. Um, but um, the the remarks in the initial report here regarding the uh, the wind conditions seem to be kind of pointing uh, toward you know, environmental factors that uh, were uh, challenging, apparently, in this uh, particular accident. But uh, your point is well taken, and. Uh, uh, just out of curiosity, um, your initial impression, other than the the personal connection that you have. Um, well, I, th- I think all three of us, Steph, Nick, and I, have probably had plenty of uh, teeth breathing moments where we are taking off in a small single engine, usually you know four cylinder uh, piston piston aircraft, right? And um, I think we've all had a lot of learning moments where 
the wind does something that you're not expecting. Uh, the aircraft does something that you're not expecting or, or I know Nick does all his density altitude calculations every single time <laughs> that he flies out here in, in uh, Wichita. Um, I know I, I don't. And uh, sometimes you, you just get a little bit surprised despite how much time you have in an airplane. And, and yeah. I think in this case, um, I mean, I've just, told, you know, just as a, just about examples there too, personal example, I've been surprised by um, unusual winds from a thunderstorm that was well in the distance, you know, more than 20 miles, um, doing interesting things on the ground in unexpected ways. So, um, winds can definitely be a factor. Um, you know, they definitely mentioned it in this. I think there's probably, we could probably come up with a dozen other environmental or other aircraft related things that could, you know, have, um, significant impact on, on performance and ability to fly in certain conditions. So, um, yeah, I think uh, well, Nick and I are both tail dragger pilots, and once once you're a foot off the ground, the airplane flies like any other airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, tail draggers is just an airplane. Um, I don't know. You you guys got some pretty squirrely winds up here in in Kansas. You probably used to, huh? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, I, I to me the big thing about this is to keep in mind that um, flying in Alaska is just like a completely different environment from a risk standpoint and from uh, a margin standpoint, you know, there's a lot of times in the continental States where the attitude is like, you know, don't, you don't have to go right. Like if something doesn't feel right, you don't have to go and you never have to go in an airplane. Right. But in Alaska, there's, they're a lot more dependent on the aviation system from like delivering supplies from like, Hunters going out, you know, when you drop someone off out in the middle of nowhere, eventually you got to go back and get them. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it, uh, you know, even if it was a, a challenging scenario, they just, it's such a different environment up there, right? It's, there, there's the more of a sense of urgency. A different. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, they regulate things differently up there. I've talked to people who have gotten things approved by the FAA like the Alaska FISDOs and the FAA that would be much more difficult to get approved down here just because they, they have to get more stuff done with airplanes up there. And um, it's cool that they're used in that manner. The downside is that they don't have, you know, maybe the same amount of margin that we often yeah. try to maintain down here. Well, and keep in mind, this was actually operated as a part 135 yeah. charter right. flight too. It wasn't, so. it wasn't a personal flight. It wasn't a private yeah. endeavor. Yeah. I, I mean, th- lots lots of people thought after this one, man, if it uh, can happen to somebody like Jim Tweedo, I think we all just took a step back when this happened in June and said, uh, man, just kind of double, like, like yeah. Nick is saying, right? Just double check yourself every time every time you take off or go to, even go to the airport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good advice. All right. We'll uh, see if there are any updates as they uh, continue with the investigation. Uh, and uh, thank you for, um, you know, what you said there, Armando, about, you know, thoughts and prayers. I mean, I, I, your show and our show, we talk, unfortunately, a lot in the news about, um, you know, events that uh, don't always turn out well. And uh, loss of life is kind of a, a thing in a lot of these. And uh, it's it's always a shame and a tragedy. It's always it's always personal for someone, but it's, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. 
it's easy for to, for, for us to forget that too, you know, because we, I don't know these people, but you know, I, I didn't know before we started doing this segment of uh, the show tonight that uh, that Armando, you know, knew them or they're quite famous in the in this world um, that he's familiar with. So, all right. Um, Number E. Let's go to uh, the next item in our feedback. Uh, item E. Uh, it's a uh, it's a video, and we're going to just play it. It really doesn't require much. Well, maybe a little bit of setup. It's um, audio from liveatc.net um, regarding um, a solo pilot and um, a kind of a, a predicament that. Uh, uh, she encountered uh, while flying her airplane. Alpha Tower, this is Fox Yankee Alpha. Fox Yankee Alpha, you can pull up, go around. I, 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 this is not a good idea. This is a big. I don't think I should have went today. I wasn't ready. I really messed up that landing. Fox Yankee Alpha, you were doing great on that approach there. Uh, just continue on runway heading there, and uh, I will coach you through to the other circuit. Okay, so don't worry about it. And uh, just continue on. Uh, just continue climbing there to 1,500 feet. I, I I don't. I feel like I need to get out right now. This is not a good idea. Shank Alpha, just climb for me to 1,500 feet. Uh, make sure you give it some uh, power there to the engine there. Climb to 1,500 feet, then I will coach you along for another try. No worries. I'm, I'm sorry. I I was doing so good before. I don't know what happened. Don't worry, you're still doing great, okay? Just uh, climb up to 1,500 feet for me, and just stay on that altitude. You don't need to turn or anything. Just stay straight and climb up to 1,500 feet for me. I'm sorry. Don't apologize. You're doing great. So don't worry about it. Just climb up to 1,500 feet for me, and I'll get back to you in just a few seconds here. Boxer Yank Alpha, I'd like you to start a left turn now, heading 120. Heading 120. Left turn. Boxer Yank Foxtrot sure, Yankee Alpha, I'd like you to climb to 2,000 feet. Foxtrot sure, Yankee Alpha. Oshawa Tower, this is Foxtrot sure, Yankee Alpha's instructor. Foxtrot sure, Yankee Alpha's instructor. Um, Tower, where's Foxtrot sure, Yankee Alpha currently in the circuit? Foxtrot sure, Yankee Alpha is currently at put her three miles south of the field now. I'm going to set her up for about a three mile final at the 2,000 feet for runway 30. Um, if she could be at a thousand feet, approximately one mile back, that would be excellent. Over the blue building, if you can tell her. Uh, one thousand feet over the blue buildings on final. You said that's where you want. That's where you want her at. Affirmative. With twenty degrees of flap and sixty-five knots. Fox route, Yankee Alpha. You can start a left turn now. Left turn heading zero five zero. Fox Yankee Alpha. And for the aircraft on Bravo waiting to depart, you can expect another uh, five-minute delay minimum, just dealing with the situation at the moment. Thanks for your patience. Foxtrot Yankee Alpha, I'd like you to do another left turn heading 000. Just fly 000 straight north for me. Foxtrot Yankee Alpha. So Foxtrot Yankee Alpha, you're doing great. In about another mile or so, I'm going to give you instructions for another left turn. That's going to set you up on final for runway 30. You're going you're gonna to be about five miles out. Uh, it's just preparing you there, and your instructor is on frequency. You, she's going to be talking to you here shortly. But just a reminder, she says she wants you at uh, on a one-mile final over the blue buildings at 20% flap and at 65 knots. I say again, 20% flaps, 65 knots 
Auto Battle 1 mile final. But you will be talking to her here momentarily in about uh, just one minute. Okay. Russia Yankee Alpha, you can start the left turn now, heading 300. That will put you straight on final for runway 30. Left turn heading 300. Foxtrot Yankee Alpha. Foxtrot Yankee Alpha, Constructor, are you on frequency still? Terminated, Foxtrot Yankee Alpha, Constructor. Okay, Foxtrot Yankee Alpha, Constructor, I'm not talking to anybody else except Foxtrot Yankee Alpha. I have her set up on about a four mile final at the moment. She's at 1,500 feet, and you can start talking to her. Okay, excellent. Talk. Could you please let me know when she's on a three mile final? Sure thing. So Fox Yankee Alpha, continue on that heading there. Uh, you're lined up with the runway, correct? Do you have the runway in sight? Yes. Affirmative, Fox Yankee Alpha. And Fox Yankee Alpha, just watch your speed and altitude, okay? So stay at 1,500 feet until you start talking to your instructor. And uh, just continue inbound, and you'll be talking to her here shortly in the next few seconds. Fox Yankee Alpha. Foxtrot Yankee Alpha's instructor, she is now on a three-mile final at 1,500 feet. Uh, I'll let you take over. Okay, Foxtrot Yankee Alpha, I'd like you to reduce your power to 1,800. Okay. And at this point, I'd like you to be at 70 knots. Okay, I'm at 70 knots. Can you see the blue roof building? Foxtrot Inc. Alpha, can you see those blue roof buildings? Foxtrot Inc. Alpha, can you see those blue roof buildings? Foxtrot Inc. Alpha's instructor, this is the control tower. She's on about a one and a half mile final now, and I'm not sure why she's not answering you there, but the Foxtrot Inc. Alpha, are you off frequency? Yeah, I didn't hear anything she said. Oh, okay. She's asking if you're seeing the blue buildings. Yes, I'm seeing the blue buildings. What altitude are you at, Foxtrot Inc. Alpha? What altitude are you at, Foxtrot Inc. Alpha? Um, still kind of, I, um, um, I'm sorry, I'm, like, freaking out right now. Foxtrot Yankee Alpha, just start climbing, just slightly please, start climbing, Foxtrot Yankee Alpha, start climbing a bit. Okay. Foxtrot Yankee Alpha's instructor, she's about half a mile final now, just uh, below the tree lines there, so I'm having her pull up just slightly. Okay, could you set her up with 1800 RPM? Foxtrot Yankee Alpha, set up at 1800 RPM, 1800 RPM. Okay. And be at 65 knots. And 65 knots, please. It's not, like, it's not staying at, I don't know. I think I, I don't know what's happening right now. I think I need to increase power, but it feels like I'm thinking. Foxtrot Alpha, yep. Uh, I have you in sight now. You're over the tree lines. You're on final, about quarter mile final, runway 30. Foxtrot Alpha, you are cleared to land runway 30. Foxtrot Yankee Alpha. Please tell her to pitch down slightly to maintain 65 knots. Yankee Alpha, pitch down slightly to maintain 65 knots. Okay.
Please tell her to idle power. Idle power now, Fuxiank Alpha. Very well done, Fuxiank Alpha. Very well done. You can exit your convenient right, any right turn you like, and uh, you can contact ground on 118.4. Fox, Fuxiank Alpha. Sorry, thank you very much. I'm going to have to bring you donuts later. Yeah, no worries. It was a team effort. Wow. That, that was something there. I could very much feel her nerves, you know? Right. And that's uh, when you're that nervous, especially, I, I, you know, it doesn't have a whole lot of information about, um, she's obviously student doing solo work. Not sure if she was staying in the pattern before that or had been out on a cross country somewhere or something along those lines. Um, but yeah, if you're, you know, low time, not a lot of experience, a poor landing attempt, or maybe just not a lot of repetitions, um, that's a pretty easy way to shake your confidence. Could have even been her, even though, as you said, we don't have a lot of information about this. Uh, it could have been her initial solo, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And maybe the instructor, the reason why we couldn't hear the instructor on frequency is she because she had a handheld, perhaps, and maybe that just didn't have the range necessary to talk to the uh, student pilot. Uh, and it, it kind of makes sense to me that if it was the initial solo, you know, having the handheld uh, radio would be something that, uh, you know, you, you'd probably uh, see in this situation. Micah's got a question here, Jeff. Uh, main man Micah in our live audience says, okay, so the question is this. You're the instructor. What would each of you do as the instructor at this point now, now that she's down? It's hmm. a good question. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my initial, I don't know, generally when something unnerving like that happens, I feel like the best scenario is to like get her back in the airplane as soon as possible. I'm just not sure how soon that would be. Like, I don't think it'd be a good idea to go jump in the airplane with her after she taxied in. Um, I think it's, I think it's exactly individual to the, yeah. I think it's, it's, you have to know the person you're, you're dealing with. You have to know their personality a little bit. Um, you don't want to wait too long. That's for sure. Because then that fear just continues to build and increase. But, um, you know, you could hear it in her voice. She was very shaken. She was shaken. probably crying, um, at certain points there. Um, you need to get over that adrenaline surge. Like you need to let that calm down first before you go back out and fly. Um, for some people that might be later the same day, but just in a very, you know, with the instructor in a very informal way, Hey, we're just going to go do the things that you've always done, whatever it was up to this point, or even go do something that's, you know, not instructional in nature, mm -hmm. make it more just fun, casual and laid back, um, and take the, the stress component out of it. Yeah. I think, uh, Jeff, you'll think back to your initial military training days. Um, so my, my second to last assignment in the air force, I was running a schoolhouse and I think even military training has changed quite a bit in that, um, when you have, so different people have different levels of what we would consider trauma. So like none of us would, would consider that a traumatic, a traumatic event. Right. But, but if she's, uh, 17 and, and, um, you know, this is the most emotional event that she's had in her life. This, you know, could be a, a defining moment. So even in the military, when we had uh, progress check failures, when we had uh, any situation that resulted or would result in remedial training, 
we actually took a, a much more uh, compassionate approach and, and, you know, traditional military training. I know, I know UPT undergraduate pilot training is, is very fast paced and everything, but we were, we were a mission schoolhouse. So when people were having troubles or would have a setback like this, we, we actually had the, the leeway in our syllabus and our time and the leeway from our, our uh, higher ups to actually sit down the individual and start asking some of these questions that I, I don't think even the airlines ask of, Hey, let's, let's slow everything down. Tell me, you know, and you start digging into the person's uh, motivations, their fears. Um, maybe there was a, a disability that hadn't been identified before, whether that be a learning disability or a, even, you know, so when I, when I used to fly um, Civil Air Patrol cadets, the physiological responses that would happen in the air were unforecastable, if that's even a word. Um, and sometimes it just took it's a word, some. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's a, yeah. it is now. <laughs> anyway, we just made so, it one. Well, there you go. Yeah. So um, we make up words you know, all so the time here. Take... Yeah. So that's fine. <laughs> uh, also, the weather. No, unforecastable. Um, so, so you, you take. I think as an instructor, to answer Micah, I would just like Nick said. I was thinking the exact same thing. It's not a get back on the horse type thing. It's slow things down. Let's figure out why this all happened. Was there? an underlying response, um, perhaps behavioral, physiological, that um, that happened there where you need to address that first before or if you, you get them back on the horse. Yeah. I've got a question for you, Jeff, Micah. Uh, main man Micah says, and Jeff is a former military instructor that dealt with individuals that were about to wash out. Yep. Would you wash her out? Um, well, no, I mean, we had, we had harsh. Uh, you know, Micah, the hammer, um, <laughs> there in Maine. Um, but, uh, I, I have an answer to his washout question. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, well, go ahead. What's your answer? Uh, so he, he did ask it to us like generally before he asked you the mm -hmm. specific question about being a former military instructor, but, um, no, I mean, not certainly at that point, she ultimately did land the aircraft successfully. Um, it took some coaching and getting her, her nerves under control. And uh, shout out to that controller. He was oh, fantastic. Yeah. Amazing. Um, you know, really took things slowly, step by step, made sure that she w had the information that she needed. Um, but ultimately, you know, he's not flying the airplane for her. Um, and she, you know, had, you could hear where some of her, um, her training and her intuitions were there. Oh, I think I need to add power. It feels like I'm sinking. You know, that's probably correct uh, response to what was going on in the airplane. Um, so no, she, you know, she was able to get the airplane back on the ground and land safely and, and taxi back to the ramp. So no, there's, there's, I'm sure she's very, very early on in training and that would not be grounds for telling someone that they just aren't cut out to fly an airplane. Yeah. And uh, if this had happened to some of my many initial solos and jets, um, uh, the process is, uh, it's not like, okay, yeah, you really screwed that up. So you're out of here. Um, <laughs> we had a quite a, a, quite a detailed process, uh, that they would go through and we'd debrief and then we'd go up for another dual ride and go over, you know, landing patterns and that kind of thing. And then when the instructor felt confident that the student could get back in the airplane and do it again, then, uh, they, they would uh, do that. And, uh, as I said, it was, it would be several rides, uh, before, uh, that student would be, uh, considered, uh, to perhaps not make it through the, through the training program. And, 
And as I said in the past, uh, because I was the assistant flight commander, uh, uh, the I, I got the problem, uh, kids. And uh, usually it wasn't a still do. Look at these people. Look at who's sitting here with them tonight. <laughs> it's because you're so soothing and calm, and you know, very much like that controller. And well, you know that that is one of those things that it really does help. You know, it, it it doesn't help things at all when you're yelling and being, you know, really. Uh, you know, dramatic. just very dramatic. And, and uh, anyway, the, the situation um, here is, or from, in my uh, experience was, okay, uh, understand you're, and usually for me, it was uh, the kids that I was uh, flying with. I say kids, they were only a couple of years younger than me at the time. I think I was, I was a kid. I was back in my day. <laughs> I, was, when I, was... I was 26, 27 years old. And these uh, students were 23, 24 years old. So, yeah. Uh, they were literally almost the same age I was. Uh, but, uh, you know, you just, uh, a lot of them were, were getting sick. And a lot of it had to do with motion sickness and, uh, combined with the super, super high pressure. And, you know, uh, Armando kind of alluded a little bit to the fact that there, there is a difference between uh, a little bit more laid back uh, in general kind of a, a training program in general aviation as opposed to military uh, aviation undergraduate pilot training. It's a very, very high-stress environment and something I would never, ever want to do uh, again in my life because I, when I was doing it, I mean, I, I can't tell. I think I've mentioned it a few times on the show where if it was like a rainy day, I'd go, yes. Like, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to go out and fly, you know, cause it required certain weather conditions to go out there and fly, you know, aerobatics and all that kind of stuff. And I just, not because I didn't enjoy the flying, it's because every darn thing that I was doing was being evaluated constantly. And that just hated, hated that anyway. So, you know, being a little bit more laid back and, you know, cause this is what we're going to do. And then flying the airplane smoothly and they'd make it through no problem. You know, they wouldn't get sick ever again. So, um, yeah, I, I think you, uh, great advice, you guys. Uh, let's don't let's don't throw her right back into that fire today. Let's talk about this. Maybe even do something not even related to aviation, and just um, you know, because she seemed to me, based on what I could hear in her voice, she I think was really close to just like letting go of everything and just saying, "That's it. I'm give yeah. up. I give up. I don't want to be here. I want to get out." She said initially. Well, mm -hmm. that's not going to be good unless you have a parachute, you know. So you're going to have to stick with the airplane and land it, get it on the ground. And uh, the air traffic controller did a, an amazing job, I think, with the, his tone of voice and everything else. So, yeah, wow, what a situation that got my adrenaline flowing, that's for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for uh, your all y'all's experience and uh, advice. And hopefully that answered uh, some of the questions from the hammer uh, main man, Micah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, I think we're going to go ahead and do the, the uh, part two, getting to know us, that time of the show where we wear silly hats. Um, and uh, except for Nick, he's not really wearing, Captain Nick's not really wearing a silly hat in our little. I think uh, Captain Nick made this. Yeah. So that's why he gave himself a more favorable <laughs> hat. Uh, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. Yes. That's the time of the show where we get together and talk about what we've been doing between episodes. And I know we just recorded on Friday night, Saturday morning, uh, just a few days ago. But still, I'm sure that things have been happening in people's lives. Like Steph, for instance, the reason why she, she couldn't join us live Saturday morning was because she had a lot of flying to do over the weekend. So yeah. did that happen? Yeah. 
I did a lot of flying last weekend. There were a lot of things I was supposed to do last Saturday that I was planning to do up until about, gosh, midday on Friday. Uh, I was planning on getting up early to go for a long run. I was planning on joining you all for uh, last week's episode. And then I was planning on going to the Panthers game, which I had oh, tickets yeah. for. Yeah. Did and I did out? none of those things because I spent all day flying. What's that? Did it, did the game get rained out or something or, or you're just busy no, flying? I was busy flying. I went. The game, the game happened, which oh. Armando can attest to. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, it didn't go well for the Panthers though. So there was. Does it ever there. really though? Not in recent memory. So, you know, but it's preseason. It's preseason. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, as a person whose baseball team wins the preseason every other year <laughs> and is still the second worst team in baseball, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything. No, yeah, our, our, uh, our usual um, airplane caravan um, was in for 100 hour maintenance and had a couple other items that were. Um, going to be addressed at the same time, and I guess parts were slow to arrive. So um, we ended up leasing a, a basically identical caravan, but the uh, gentleman who owns it was very, um, and as he should be, insistent on doing uh, checkouts with the folks who are going to be flying it. So as of Saturday morning, only myself and our chief pilot, who was unavailable for the weekend, had been checked out on it. So um, I, I got to fly by default. So I flew um, probably close to 15 hours this past weekend. I think I did 21 loads each day. Wow. So that was pretty good. And on Saturday we had a late start because it was quite foggy in the morning. So that was one start just before noon and like seven hours straight in the airplane. Wow. Yeah. Busy, busy. Sunday was much more relaxed and it was very hot, like heat index of a hundred plus mm. all weekend long. Yeah. It's been hot everywhere. I think, uh, yeah. here in the States. Yeah, but it was it was fun. It was a good weekend. Um, very productive amount of flying. Just none of the other things I planned to to do for the weekend. Oh well, you know that's all right. I enjoy the flying too. So that's life, I guess. I'll sometimes take the, I'll take the fifteen hours. All right, good. very good. <laughs> um, Camacho, what have you been yes. up to, sir? Uh, so let's see. I got uh, got off the show on Saturday. Uh, and immediately rounded up my son and we went up to the Cosmosphere, which is a place, uh, about an hour North of here. It's a, it's a space museum in the middle of Kansas, kind of in the middle of nowhere, but it's a cool place. Uh, they have the, uh, original, like the actual Apollo 13 module. They have the actual Liberty Bell seven module. They have a blackbird. Um, so they have some really cool stuff. Uh, so my son has been wanting to go up there on his little aerospace kick that he's been on. Uh, so we went up there and uh, got to see all of that stuff. It didn't have as much of an impact on him as the airplane stuff we've been doing because he doesn't, he's not as tuned into space. Um, I was trying to talk him through the Apollo 13 situation. <laughs> um, so I think we need to watch that movie because yeah, watching Top Gun really got him fired into right. airplanes. So I think if we watch, you know, the movie, the Paul 13 movie, and he gets a better idea of what happened there. But um, uh, so we did that. And then uh, beyond that, I've been uh, trying to catch up at the day job after getting back from my trip last week and uh, building tow bars. You know, uh, my dad's got a little side business or my folks, mom and dad have a side business building uh, vintage airplane tow bars that we started out for Stearman's. 
and the big uh, Stearman fly-in is coming up in two weeks, I think, or three weeks. Like Galesburg. Yeah. Yeah. In Galesburg, Illinois. So we're trying to get our next little production run of stuff ready to go for that. So I've been doing a lot of welding and a lot of grinding <laughs> and that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, and that's about all I've been able to accomplish since uh, since Saturday. Yeah, that's a lot. A lot more than I've accomplished, that's for sure. Um <laughs> All right. Well, very good. Um, Captain Armando, uh, how about yourself? Uh, you know, it's, you've been on our show a few times and, uh, but it's been a while. We and, want to know everything uh, that he's been we doing. Want to, don't, don't go season. into detail about everything. That since you've May done. 19th, <laughs> yeah. which was our NOTA meetup. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> so on the 20th of May. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's all the time we have today. Um, <laughs> No, uh, the abridged version. Um, I'm actually here. Uh, last year I was here with Nick and, and we got a, a chance to hang out up at Stearman Field um, when I was doing my hawker uh, training. Uh, that was three weeks long. This was much better, uh, <laughs> Jeff, as you mentioned. So I, I used to be a, a part 135 guy. Um, this job that I'm in right now is uh, only part 91, which makes the check rides, makes the recurrent so much easier so much less stress. It's uh, they don't call it a progressive um, check ride anymore. It's an incremental check ride, which means um, there's no actual check ride at the end of your recurrent training. It's just a, you know, they set out with this this matrix, and then as you go through the week, they just check off boxes. And once they see, that's all they need to do. So there's no actual check ride. There's no real um, knowledge exam uh, or anything like that. So it's just so much more stress-free than last time I was here. <laughs> and, uh, so I actually got to enjoy it, and, and you have so much more bandwidth to actually, you know, fly the airplane into sim, do the things that that you don't usually do. Um, the V the V one cuts, you know, you can do it at your home airfield. They ask you what's your what's your you know ninety percent operation. Um, and I told him, I was like, well, uh, my principles actually only fly day VFR. Like we, we don't (laughs) try not to touch any clouds. We don't fly at night. I like, we don't leave before 8am and we never get back past dinner. So, um, you know, I tried that with Acme and, uh, they they, they didn't go along with that at all. (laughs) Yeah. So, so today was just kind of a wrap up day. Um, my last day in, in recurrent and they said, well, what do you want to do? I was like, well, I want to do actually day VFR v1 cuts um to see no kidding how long it takes to uh to run the checklist and airspace wise three you know three dimensionally where am i gonna go uh because as steph knows the charlotte airspace i'm in concord which sits just underneath the the class bravo which you know if you have an engine failure you can declare an emergency and you can go anywhere but but i wanted to to get a three-dimensional um sort of time and space picture of of where can we go to troubleshoot, run the checklist, secure the engine, and then do a single engine approach back in. But it's just so much, it's just so much more relaxed in, in part 91 than 135 or 121. Um, so that was the, that's the reason I'm here in the air capital of America. And, um, but actually to what Nick just said, one of my highlights for the whole year was doing a, a photo mission from my cub with a steerman that's uh, based there at, at Concord, North Carolina. And um, I'll send you guys the video later, but what a, I, what a, I saw some of those pictures in the oh, video, I think, because that looked awesome. It was such a beautiful thing to see. And, and the, the, uh, the owner of the Stearman does a lot of formation stuff, and he's, he's a formation instructor and everything. So he was tight up on, on my wing, and we got some amazing pictures. What a beautiful aircraft. Um, and then, but when, 
you know, I was I was flying lead. We we swapped um, the photographer from from one ship to the other, but I was flying lead, and I just I just wanted to keep like glancing over. <laughs> At him because it was such a beautiful thing just to watch this steerman on a clear blue North Carolina morning. Uh, it was seven thirty in the morning, and, and man, probably one of the highlights of my flying career. Was that one of those in-flight transfers of the uh, photographer, or did you <laughs> yeah. do that, uh, the Red yeah. Bull kind of thing? Yeah, except we're the blue bulls, bulls, blue bulls. Blue, wait, careful, mm, careful. Wow. <laughs> Trust me, you do not want to be that. Where's the spoon? <laughs> uh, we need to do the. There we go. Little, little late, but better late than never. That's it. That's all I've done since uh, May twentieth. All right. Well, come on. That's it. That's all you've been doing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, as we mentioned, uh, Armando is a big part of the uh, uh, Plain Talking UK podcast, and uh, the, uh, he gives it credibility because he's the only American that's on that uh, <laughs> show. <laughs> yeah, we had to get our dig back in. I saw all those comments in the, uh, in the live audience from people like Neil <laughs> Landworm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, great. Well... We got, we're all caught up now, and uh, we already did the coffee fund and the cover art. Uh, so that means that we can take a little bit of time. How much time, Liz, do we have before we, we uh, wrap it up? Just under 35 minutes to the oh, that's hour a lot of time. mark. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we don't have to stay that long if, we, uh, if you guys want to yeah. leave a little bit earlier than that. But why don't we uh, head over to uh, the feedback and uh, look at uh, four. Uh, this was sent in to us from Alan. And he says, hi, guys and girls. Thought you might like this. Great to see that lovely profile in the skies, even though dot, 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 dot. Well, <laughs> what he's uh, alluding to here is that uh, it's not the, uh, uh, he's referring, of course, to the Concorde, or or not the Concorde, Concorde. And uh, it's a very large uh, radio-controlled model of it. It's supposed to be the or it says here, world's largest RC model, 149 kilograms, 10 meters in length. Uh, it has four jet turbine engines on it. Now, he, he did include the video, which we're not going to play on the show here, but we'll have in the show notes. Uh, but there are a couple of um, uh, frames from, from the video there for you to take a look at that beautiful airplane. Can you imagine how painful it would be you're controlling your... RC model and it crashes. I mean, can you imagine how much this is not a kit that they bought at the hobby shop, you know? No, I, you know, it just, I wonder about the perspective flying that, you know, because anytime I, I struggle with this with, um, like with drones where you're not using kind of the, um, what should we call it? The, the, the goggles, the augmented the, reality, where you can see first person, oh yeah, first view. person view. Yeah. First person view. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, FPV. Um, if I, if, because I've had a couple of little cheap drones just to like fly around in the house or in the backyard or something. And I'm, I, I'm terrible at it. Like I crash them quite a bit because it's hard without that <laughs> FPV perspective, that first person view perspective. Um, so yeah, I, I imagine it takes a lot of skill to fly these well and land them safely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look at this kind of like I look at skydiving. Like, wait, what? <laughs> it seems like I would enjoy it. But then when I'm actually doing it, I would be so terrified of the failure that I wouldn't be able to enjoy doing it. So uh, I just, 
Well, at least with first, first person view too, so you'd, you'd be fine. Yeah, but that. skydiving <laughs> when you have the failure uh, with skydiving, it's uh, it's uh, much more serious. Okay. Well, well you, you don't know how much this guy's invested in this. You don't know mm-hmm. what his wife's attitude towards it is. Oh know? yeah, she end up she might end up shooting him, <laughs> killing him. Uh, that's a good point. Well, I, uh, shameless plug here. Uh, mm-hmm. Over on Plain Talking UK, uh, we had an interview a couple months ago. I think that's it was right. April. Yeah. With a gentleman, actually one of our list, one of our listeners, James Graves Brown, who lives mm-hmm. out in Albuquerque. He's in, our uh, listener too. And Rio, hey, we had him first. <laughs> no, actually, you guys had him first because I met, I met uh, James in uh, in Atlanta with Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah, the scorpions. That's a. That's and the, oh, uh, by the way, Armando, one of these that I have here on top of my speaker that I'm pointing at is yours. James Graves Brown told me to send one to you. Awesome. Well, the scorpion, it's the state dog of uh, New Mexico. <laughs> um, it's good to eat, too. <laughs> much like the gnat is the state bird of Alabama. Um, but anyway, he, he did a great interview with one of his friends who is both a uh, a full-size pilot. Full-scale. No, full I'm, I'm a full-size pilot. <laughs> a normal-size pilot? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know how much he weighs, but he's a full-size pilot. <laughs> As well as an RC yeah. pilot, so a really good interview, and uh, I've I've never had the chance to do this either. So cool. Mm-hmm. All right, a lot of a lot of work and effort going into uh, putting something like that together, though. I've, yeah, I can be impressed by that for sure. Yeah, I've never tried my hand at flying something that I wasn't in, uh, and <laughs> it just seems like it'd be very very complicated, and I'd probably crash humbling. a lot too. A little, yeah, a little humbling. Yeah. yeah, just a different kind of hand-eye coordination thing going on, I guess. All right. The uh, next one is Number from five. Truck Driver Less. Uh, Nebraska State Patrol clocks a spray plane. And uh, he says, uh, he shows us a link to a tweet here or uh, an X post or whatever we call it now, I think. Or was this in a different uh, social media? Eh, some social media post here. Um, and from the Nebraska State Patrol Uh, Just a word of thanks to our ag producers across Nebraska taking care of business in the field to feed America. And uh, so, uh, let's see, truck driver Les says, uh, nice tip of the hat to Nebraska farmers and ranchers by the Nebraska State Patrol on their Facebook page. Oh, there we go, Facebook page. Uh, Trooper locked in the low-flying airplane at 160 miles per hour. And that's... uh, we're looking at the vantage point of the driver's seat of the uh, patrol car. You can see the uh, spray, the ag plane there in the distance, very low, not too far away. And uh, the radar display, um, the radar readout on the dash of the patrol car here showing actually 161 miles per hour. Pretty cool. <laughs> Just one of those things you don't think you're going to see every day. Yep. All right, Uh, we'll continue on uh, with this from Robert. Uh, Checking in with the crew, apparently my entry into the airline business wasn't meant to be. I was made an offer I could not refuse and will be making another job change next week. Of course, he sent this in to us um, a while back. Uh, So I'm sure that he's uh, well-established in his new job. He's going to work for the state Department of Transportation of one of those states above the Mason-Dixon line. 
I will say that I would still be with Acme had this offer not dropped in my lap, and I was glad to receive several congratulatory notes from coworkers wishing me well. I'll be headed up to Boston on Sunday to get oriented uh, to my new role instead of early Monday morning, as ATL on a Monday morning is known to be quite hell. Uh, there have been recent agree with AT, yeah, ATC, not as bad as Charlotte, but it's it's not good. Wait, what? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, are we talking about in the airport or just on the ramp? Um, I'm talking. Well, I'm talking about that for perspective, but maybe you're talking about the airport itself, I'm right? About, yes. Yeah. I think I think every time you say Charlotte, you have to say Charlotte most voted most efficient airport, right, Steph? I think so. Yes, that's our <laughs> yeah. new. Our that's new the new Charlotte. full airport it's, title. Yes, new, yeah. Mm, okay. Charlotte most efficient airport. Wow. What the are they smoking in over the world? There? Even really. <laughs> okay, uh, there have been recent ATC and weather issues in and out of the Northeast, and I thought I would bother you all with this question instead of my dispatcher friend. How do the airlines prioritize which flights get delayed, canceled when these initiatives go into effect? For example, do regional flights on smaller planes get cut first in order to save slots for mainline flights on larger planes? Uh, will ATC send down draconian mandates for random flights to get canceled slash delayed? Is it more of a luck of the draw or something in between? And uh, basically, uh, you're asking the wrong person, uh, Robert. Um, you know, Dispatcher Mike or Tom Dugan would be the folks to uh, talk to regarding how dispatchers may uh, treat this if they have any input at all. I think they do. I think they can swap out certain flights uh, when we go under these uh, draconian measures to uh, thin out the flow of traffic, but uh, I don't know, maybe somebody else here on the panel might have a better answer. I probably don't have the correct answer, but my uh, my understanding is that it's kind of all of the above there. Yeah. Uh, a- you know, there's things that come down with various, you know, ground stuff, ground life, uh, flow control programs, uh, airlines trying to, um, you know, it's not going to be just the regional flights first in a lot of cases or, or uh, asymmetrically because they're feeding the mainline flights to some extent. So you have to, uh, it's a, it's a big operational top down thing, trying to take a look at what makes the most sense in order to have as many planes and crews in the correct position at, as possible at the end of the day, as well as make sure as many or as few customers as possible end up being displaced. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, when's the last time you went to the Acme airlines OCC there in the on the campus. Um, well, I was really close in February when I was in my uh, uh, recurrent training, uh, but it's been probably since I've spent any time at all up in the OCC. It's been a couple of years at least. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've been there pretty recently. Yeah, it's so you see, it's a team effort. When anything goes, when everything's going right, and when everything goes wrong, or a minor thing goes wrong, or a major weather event. Um, it is a team effort, and you have everybody from the dispatchers to operations to sales to res to um, in-flight coordinators, you know, because you got to get the cabin crew in the right place also. They're not necessarily linked up with the pilot side. It's a whole team effort. Um, it's pretty impressive how airlines run, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Just a great There's, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that, you yep. know, as a, a customer on an airline – you know, it's it's hard to imagine how many wheels are in motion to make everything work smoothly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was a uh, I was an industrial manufacturing engineering uh, major in college, and a lot of people associate that with like 
making efficient um, manufacturing lines and stuff like that. But uh, I knew a lot of people that got hired by airlines because they would utilize their like logistics and um, analytics uh, skills and, and stats and stuff like that to help them solve these problems. Mm-hmm. So it's a, they are, they're like very complex problems with many variables, like Armando was saying. So pretty interesting job. I mean, every time we have any kind of an irregular operation IROP going on at um, my company, which is a very large um, legacy carrier here, uh, well, around the world, but uh, a concentration of flights uh, domestically for sure. And when when things just, you know, the wrench gets thrown into the whole mechanism, I just don't know how they manage to get everything sorted out as quickly as they do. I mean, my hat's off to those folks that... Uh, have a grasp of all these different crews and airplanes and, you know, in, in various places. It's just amazing to me that it gets recovered as quickly as it does. I think, I think uh, 95% of the listeners of the show would understand how much has to go into writing the system, getting the train back on the tracks. Um, sometimes it's, it's pretty amazing to see those non-frequent travelers and the level of, uh, frustration that they display at the airport when things aren't going so right. And, um, you know, as much as I get and I, the chance to, and I don't fly for an airline, but, um, when I was doing, uh, part 135 stuff, I would often, uh, commute in uniform. And it was almost kind of like that air traffic controller with the previous video where it was like, you have to say, Hey, trust me, none of us want to be here right now. Yeah. Like the airline doesn't want to be in this situation. The pilots don't want to be in this situation. The gate agents don't want to be in this situation. Nobody is having fun right now. That's, I promise you, they are doing their best to, to put the train back on the tracks and they are not personally going after you or your luggage. No, we are actually, <laughs> we're, we're going after the, each one of you individually because we want to make your life miserable. Yeah. miserable you just have to watch out the only ones you have to watch out for are those captains that are at the end of the line their 65th yeah. birthday's right around the corner they've got loose cannons That's right. <laughs> <laughs> cancel cancel yeah. you see my name on the crew roster I didn't want to fly anyway today I'm out of here, out of here. Like, <laughs> it's like a ticker tape parade of cancellations <laughs> That's my goal to see how much disruption I can uh, uh, make happen there. Uh, Ooh, can you uh, imagine on your last flight if you <laughs> if you were to just on your last flight go? You know what? I think the APU is is a uh, in op. I don't think we're taking this today. <laughs> well, I, I, I think I've told the story a few times, um, but uh, I, I think it's a true story. I wasn't there when this happened, but they everybody I've talked to about it says yes, this did actually happen. And it used to be in the old days uh, before we were very good at metering flights and traffic and, you know, flow of traffic. The, as soon as you came off the ramp in Atlanta, it was not unusual to see 20, 25 airplanes in line on the taxiway heading out to runway 26 left in, in the case of this uh, incident. And uh, this, uh, it was back in the days when Eastern Airlines was still flying and there was a Eastern 727 with an Eastern 727 captain who was uh, getting up there in age um, in his 50s. And so he was getting close to retirement. Uh, 60 was the retirement age back then. And the story goes that he finally got up to number one. They told him to line up and wait or uh, position and hold back in those days. 
And uh, so then they cleared him for takeoff and he said, Tower, we're going to need to return to the gate. And uh, he basically, I don't know exactly what he said, but he, he, he reached his limit at, <laughs> right at that moment and said, nope, wow. I'm not going to do this anymore. This is it. This is my last, whatever my last flight was, that was the last flight. This is my last, he just taxied the airplane back to the gate and got off the airplane. I don't know if he said anything to the passengers or not, but uh, maybe good luck, you know, have a great day. I'm out of here. That's the end of my career right there. And he retired. So yeah, it's an interesting Loud story. Loud in style. Yeah, yep. going out with a bang. But uh, they said everybody was like, what? I mean, he must have said something to indicate that he was retiring right at that moment. <laughs> yeah. And really no, don't don't call yeah. me again. Don't don't call me at <laughs> yeah. all. I'm, I'm done. Yeah, they probably were happy not to call him after that. All right, uh, we'll continue on with uh, some feedback from Sam Sam Dawson. Uh, in episode 575, you covered the final report of Trans Transair 810, the 737-200 that crashed off Honolulu in July 2021. I came across an in-depth analysis of the accident by Admiral Cloudberg. Link attached. It's about a 30-minute read, so I'll try to summarize it. There are a couple of good learning points from this accident that are brushed over in the NTSB report. I actually took a look at this after reading this uh, feedback from from Sam, and uh, yeah, there were a lot of things that were kind of brushed over in the NTSB report. Uh, the night prior to the, and you'll remember this was the accident of the 737-200, the cargo uh, aircraft roads. Air uh, Transair, I think they were under uh, operating under Rhodes uh, uh, call sign, and they I think they had two 737 200s, and they had a uh, an emergency and ended up crashing. So uh, off of uh, uh, Honolulu International uh, Airport, out in the water. Okay, the night prior to the accident, the captain had an argument with his first officer, the only female pilot working for Transair. That turned into a shouting match in the cockpit. At this point, the FO stated she would not fly with the captain and walked away in the middle of the after-start checklist. It's obvious from the transcript that the accident captain had not moved on from this incident and was distracted by it. The captain goes on to say that the F- that FOs should acquiesce. This is so. Now we're talking about the incident flight with a different um, co-pilot, a, a different first officer. The captain went on to say that FOs should acquiesce to their captain in spite of what they thought the book said. At one point during the checklist, the captain interrupted the FO to mention he was going to use his cell phone to send pictures of the wording in the manual to the chief pilot in order to prove he was right the night prior to in his altercation. So he's this is still heavily on his mind the next day. Uh, even during the taxi for takeoff, the captain again violates the sterile cockpit policy by bringing up the incident the night prior. It's obvious from the transcript that he was focused more on the flight from the previous night than the current flight. At one point during taxi, the captain says about the previous night's FO, uh, these are the kind of women you don't want to get married to. You know, some men, they lose their temper. And the next thing you know, the wife is dead. You know, they start punching them and kicking them and they lost their minds, you know. They kill the woman. It's the woman who can drive you to do crazy stuff, you know? <laughs> okay. So this guy what? has some issues. This guy has <laughs> a lot of issues. Yes. 
<laughs> so, so um, loose screws. Sam says, "Yikes!" <laughs> yeah, I yeah, think we all I do. Yikes! Uh, wow. Next is the confusion with the air traffic controller. I think this stems from one of Captain Nick's pet peeves. The captain, who is the non-flying pilot, states in his initial call to ATC after the engine failure, "Roads 810, we have an emergency. Stand by." The air traffic controller dealing with several several aircraft and without the clearly stated mayday, 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 missed the content of the transmission and issued heading information. Roads Express 810, radar contact, fly heading 110 to join Victor 2, resume own, own navigation. This results in a back and forth as the air traffic controller dealing with several flights still does not initially understand that the 737 has experienced an emergency. Oh, and this is just a side note from me. Uh, also, there was the other roads flight. They were coming in from wherever That's they were right. flying. Yep. And so, so there, there were two, two roads air flights, mm-hmm. and there was some confusion in the call signs. And so uh, I think there were 809. I think they used the actual tail number of or registration number of the uh, aircraft in their call sign. So they were the accident airplanes 810, and the one that was also coming in for landing was 809. So there was, yeah, they were taking each other's calls and it was a little confusing, uh, to say the least. Um, okay, so uh, Sam continues. In aviation, we have a saying, aviate, navigate, communicate. Yet for several minutes, the captain is tied up in this communication during an emergency while the FO was flying the airplane. Then when the captain returns to the cockpit, you know he's there the whole time, but he's basically mentally not there. He says, uh, you want me to take over or you got it? And the FO responds, no, I'm okay, thank you. The FO had, up to this point, been flying the engine failure profile. Then, after more discussion with ATC, with nothing done on the emergency checklist, the captain again says to the FO, let me take over briefly, and you, in other words, the captain, in the middle of an emergency, with no checklist being run, takes over the flying duties. This is probably the biggest mistake that was made and is noted in the final reports as a breakdown in CRM. In an airplane emergency, it's generally the practice for the captain to manage the emergency while the FO flies the airplane. A good analogy is an emergency on a ship. If there's an emergency on a ship, the captain generally does not rush to the wheelhouse, grab the wheel, and start steering the ship. The captain manages the, mer- the emergency. There have been studies about this, and it's been found that during an emergency, the captain is the flying pilot and loses situational awareness. In almost every case, both pilots lose SA. Yet the captain is the non-flying pilot in an emergency and the FO loses SA. In most cases, the captain will catch this loss of situational awareness. A loss of SA is what happened in this case. Just prior to the captain taking over the airplane, the FO, as the flying pilot, had reduced the thrust levers to idle to reach the engine failure target speed of 220. The captain took over as the speed was reaching 220, but before the FO had advanced the thrust levers. Even though they initially identified the correct engine that failed, In the confusion of this changeover, and with the thrust levers both at idle, they misidentified the failed engine. Then they rushed the shutdown of the good engine, and that was all she wrote. V1, oh, and a side note here, uh, and we mentioned this when we covered the uh, final report. um, There wasn't even uh, an attempt to, like, take both of those throttles and, like, jam them through the firewall when the thing was losing airspeed. I don't know why that wasn't something that they thought would be a good idea. Uh, but they were sure that they had identified the correct engine that had failed, but they hadn't. It was the wrong one. Um, V1 cuts are drilled into us as airline pilots until we can say the profile in our sleep. Even though Captain Nick hasn't flown an airplane in years, I'm sure he would be able to spout out the A330 procedure. Normally, as a flying pilot, you fly the airplane. 
The non-flying pilot will help the flying pilot make sure they stay on the runway center line, follow the vertical profile, or follow the special procedure if there's one. If ATC tries to ask for something, the response is stand by. The focus is on aviate, or doing the V1 cut procedure, and navigate, following the engine failure profile. If the captain is the flying pilot at some point, usually once things are stabilized, he or she will turn the airplane control over to the FO and the captain will manage the emergency, run the checklist, coordinate with ATC. There might be exceptions such as US Air 1549 where the captain took control after a dual engine failure to make a water landing. In other cases, after running checklists and managing the emergency, the captain may decide to make the landing depending on the conditions and the situation. Fortunately, both pilots survived this accident. I think it will be the one that is studied in CRM classes for years to come. Keep the sunny side up. And again, that's uh, from Sam Dawson. He gives us a link to uh, the Admiral Cloudberg um, uh, narrative uh, uh, from, uh, I guess, entitled Dark Waters of Self-Delusion, the Crash of Transair Flight 810. So, yeah, wow. I mean, when we covered this and reading the final report, um, really not much was made about this captain's attitude and misogyny um, and uh, just in Certainly general. Certainly none of the CRM issues that were occurring. Right. Yeah, that's, um, man, it's it's very disappointing, you know, to know that there's folks out there like that and then they can allow their attitudes to influence how they act in a professional environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think uh, it was a... It was surprising to me the difference between the focus on CRM in the military. Um, our CRM training, even our, CR, well, our CRM initial training uh, for anyone in the Air Force, at least in uh, Air Force Special Operations Command, was a two-day course. Uh, it was a full 16 hours, 16 to 20 hours with case studies and and uh, situationally based training. And then the CRM refresher training was a full day where we talked about, it's the same basis, right? You still talk about antidotes and hazardous attitudes and communication and workload performance. And it's all the same basis that the Air Force CRM came from from the airlines, right? I think it was after Eastern Airlines 401 that uh, there was the Sioux City, the Al Haines crash that, uh, that really kind of got CRM going in the airlines we we really just stole all of that from from the commercial world and and put it into um practice in the military but these are all things you know at some point uh sam said a breakdown in crm well the breakdown in crm happened the night before right and at that point they you know you should you should have been able to identify everybody's uh, both attitudes the emotions involved there um, you know, one walking away, one saying, hey, I'm the captain now, look at me. Um, that's a movie reference. <laughs> um, uh, so that was really the breakdown in CRM um, was all the way back there. And it's just nothing's going to hap- happen. <laughs> nothing's going to get better, <laughs> no. I suppose. It's a snowball kind yeah. of effect, right? <clears throat> yeah. The, the, um, Sam mentions, uh, you know, Cactus 1549. The flip side to that is uh, Southwest 1380 with Tammy Jo Schultz, mm-hmm. um, where in that case, um, she actually handed over the controls. Or I think the FO was flying and she they established that, hey, you are going to continue flying. And as Sam said, um, 
you know, she managed the emergency at that point. And listening to her talk about that incident when they had the uncontained uh, engine failure and the one passenger um, that lost their life, um, Captain Schultz does a really, really good interview how they manage that from a CRM standpoint. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just say something, um, Armando, maybe it was your um, experience in the military, but my experience in the military coming from the military airlift command uh, flying the 141, uh, we were actually, and it wasn't like a formal CRM kind of classroom kind of thing that we were exposed to, but just the operation uh, was incorporated a lot of CRM and used everybody as team members. And we were more co-equals and not so much, uh, I'm the king and don't touch anything or do anything until I tell you to kind of uh, world that the airlines were still in in that time. And that was kind of a big shock for me when I came to Acme. I'm thinking, holy cow, wow, what is going on here? I mean, I, you know, this is the way I thought things were 30, 40 years ago, but I didn't realize now, you know, you still uh, are running cockpits like, or not all of them, but there were a lot of captains that were still uh, running cockpits like that back when I was first hired at Acme. So, uh, but it was, as you said, uh, very shortly thereafter, we started incorporating. In fact, I think Acme was one of the leaders in the uh, airline world uh, for, uh, for CRM um, instruction. And uh, yeah, but again, that was, that really did kind of shock me that, uh, you would think that uh, the airlines would have been a little bit more progressive than uh, the military airlifters were. But uh, yeah, anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there. I, I was going to mention the uh, the final report for the uh, Challenger crash in Truckee just came out a couple of days ago. Oh, I think we talked about it back when it happened, but it was a Part 91 flight that crashed um, going into Truckee in, I think, 2021. And uh, it was... Uh, it was similar in that it was, uh, you know, there was two or three different things happening uh, with the flight, but it was really a breakdown of a CRM and they got themselves kind of in a, in a bind trying to do a circling approach. And then their crew interaction kind of broke down. And, you know, I think the captain had, I'm trying, I should have, I should have paid more attention when I read it. I think the captain actually had less time in the airplane than the FO either one or both of them were contract pilots. So they didn't have a lot of experience. If any, I think it may have been their first flight operating together. And so there was no, you know, and part 91, uh, business jet operation. Um, so probably not as much of an emphasis when you're bringing in outside people. Um, and they just got in a situation where they were not, um, they weren't utilizing each other as resources, right? They were not, they weren't fighting necessarily, but they weren't uh, taking advantage of the, all of the resources in the cockpit, I think. So that'd be a, an interesting one for people to go look at too. Yeah. And in, in part 91, uh, business aviation and commercial aviation, there's no requirement for CRM training right. at all. Mm-hmm. There's, if you happen to have it cause you were an airline, uh, guy or military guy, that's great. But, uh, people can absolutely go, have a career that is, um, you know, flying a, uh, Bonanza, then into a TBM, then into a, uh, King air, and then from a King air into a Learjet. And then 20 years later, they're flying a challenger and, and, and still have never had formal CRM training among other trainings. Um, it's just not required in part 91. Uh, you, they cover a smidgen when you do a type rating, but that's, but, um, you know, it's, it's maybe a half hour block. And I guess it just, one last quick thing here, because I know we're 
kind of running low on time, but it's just very shocking to me that in the 121 world or 135 world even, you can come across folks with these kinds of attitudes um, that are that somehow make it all the way through uh, not only being in a, a CRM type environment, but also, you know, through upgrade training to become a captain. Um, that's shocking to me in this day and age, but I think they're still out there. So. Yeah, I think the kind of personalities that get uh, so worked up uh, when people um, question their authority uh, usually are people that aren't very good aviators to begin with. And, uh, you know, that's just a generalization, I guess. But, um, yeah, uh, just let it go, you know, um, and uh, let's fly the, the flight that we're flying today. And, you know, and maybe go see a, a, a psychotherapist or get some kind of counseling about your issues with uh, with women and people that question your authority. All right, we're going to end this uh, with um, number twelve feedback from Larry Geezer, and uh, he says, "Interesting article, uh, but applied only in the cabin for passengers." And this article that he links to, which we're not going to read because it's going to be uh, self-evident why Larry thought this was an interesting thing for us to cover is that United became the first U.S. airline to add Braille to aircraft interiors, helping millions of travelers with vision issues. And he said, uh, uh, or I say, um, they also uh, added, or Acme did the same thing, I think, and we added it to our cockpit as well. Um, for those <laughs> that are, uh, but you, bam, oh wait, been shot. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was funny. Uh, Geezer, by the way, um, is a, a self-assigned nickname, uh, Larry, uh, gave himself. And, uh, he said, although I'm thinking of changing it to a more sophisticated alias, like Lima Delta Gulf, or perhaps a French one, like now, now Steph, could you help us with the pronunciation here? I don't, some of those words don't appear French to me, yeah. actually. Well, Let's it's, uh, let me, can I, can I go ahead and try it? Paddle your own canoe. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Well done, Larry. Yeah, Larry yeah. Uh, nailed yeah, it. That's funny. That's what my lower back tattoo says. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's a news source that uh, Liz loves to go to uh, on our show, uh, Armando, from uh, paddleyourowncanoe.com. Oh, so, I do listen to your show. Do you? <laughs> really? Uh, I don't know. I do. Usually I when I'm going to sleep. I yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, funny. Uh-huh. Okay, uh, so that we'll put the, if you want to read this article, we'll have it in the show notes. And uh, that means now we're going to wrap it up. Uh, we always like to point you to our website, airlinepilotguide.com. Lots of good stuff there you can check out. And we are also on the Sochmeads. And Steph, she's always the one that nails this. So go ahead. I do am, it, but man, it's been a while since I've had to talk about the Sochmeads. So yeah. apologize if I'm rusty. I'm uh, excited to see updated Twitter to X. Oh, oh that's no. Right. What am I going to say? I haven't even thought about this. Oh, no. I'm Call it Twix. That's what I like. Hey, let's, let's, start with, let's, start with, let's start with one that hasn't changed. We're on Facebook. That's mm-hmm. still facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Um, and then I guess the social media app formerly known as Twitter, now known as X. Um, good news, though. Our handle has not changed. We're still at APG Crew, and our uh, individual uh, handles are still pinned to the top of that page. Uh, we'll figure out what to call it eventually, I'm sure. 
And uh, still on Instagram, Nick posts our, uh, our weekly show art there. That is APG Crew as well. And as always, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, everything else is still the same in the world and that Hillel is still occupying your shower. Uh, yeah, I hear the, I hear the water. And that he hasn't changed his name. Hillel, can you tell us about Slack? Awesome. All right. Come on over here. Sit down. It's oh, getting water all over the place. Uh, tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K. Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. All right. Thanks, Hillel. Appreciate it. Mind if I use your razor, Jeff? Yes. <laughs> I do. Mind. It's always right. something very personal it is weird he's a very we have a very personal relationship close relationship (laughs) i should say about it okay great well you know so nice uh that you were able to uh join camacho there in wichita and join us in the whole apg world uh armando um always good to see you yeah it's always good to see uh you guys but nick in person once a year yep (laughs) (laughs) whether you like it or not and, Although uh, I think we're going to see each other twice this year. Yep, maybe twice if everything works out. Oh, cool! I can't wait. Nick's to coming that. to Charlotte. Sweet. Better wait. Charlotte. No. <laughs> All right. So, uh, how can people uh, contact you if they'd like to? Uh, we make it easy. Just you can go on whatever platform you want to go on and just look for Plain Talking UK podcast. All right. That's on. Uh, all, we're on all the social medias, all the same ones. Or you can just follow the uh, link from the APG website, which uh, for which we get a, a small donation every time you click on it. Really? Who, who, who does that? <laughs> They've diverted it from know the coffee. No, I we, we put a link at the bottom of APG, and it, it just extracts a little bit of the coffee. Hey, wait a minute. That's not fair. Not, not enough just, to notice. Just like, you know, a couple cents here and there. Well, but Liz time. knew all about it. She <laughs> said no. Uh-huh. Wait a minute. Okay, Liz, we need to talk. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And uh, I know nothing. Speaking of Liz, well, I was going to say thank you to Liz. I'll go, I'll go ahead and do that. Uh, thank you. Liz, for all the hard work that you do behind the scenes, and uh, my pleasure. And uh, always uh, fantastic. And finally, I'd like to say to everybody, thanks for hanging out with us uh, every week. Uh, tell all your friends, and uh, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care. God bless. Cheers, y'all. See you next time. Adios. Bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. a good good pilot till I started APG 
I opened doors for little old ladies. I helped them to their seats. Airline, not a guy. I fly Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly 